This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Linebackers who played 13 seasons, 182 games, all with the Chicago Bears. And they need that guy, the Bears on defense. Brian Erlacher, first and goal, the ball at the four. Pass is intercepted by that guy, Brian Erlacher. He was the defensive player of the year in 2005. He was selected to eight Pro Bowls and named to the first team All-Pro five times. And on the run, here's Smith and tipped away. Erlacher was downfield covering Ontario Smith and got a hand on it. He is all over the field today. He was named to the NFL's All-Decade team of the 2000s Hall of Famer, Brian Erlacher. Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Good morning. Welcome on in. Just a continuation of Super Bowl talk. Chris Black with the best of 1000. Fred Hubner here for the next three and a half hours. We'll be talking about Super Bowl 52. Do you know, Chris, it was 11 years ago today, from what you told me during the commercial break, it was 11 years ago today that you were hammered <laughs> to the gills yes. and you were you were kind of like a fish because you were soaking wet down in uh, Miami as the Bears were playing the Colts in Super Bowl 41. For a brief moment in the fourth quarter, I thought Rexy and Erlacher and Peanut, I thought there was a comeback in them. Yep. Then there wasn't. And then Peyton Manning got to uh, lift up the Lombardi trophy and uh, the Colts win the Super Bowl. And I was soaking wet, but my dad and I had a great time. We were hammered. Yeah. And uh, that was 11 years ago today, 2407. It is now 2418. And uh, the New England Patriots, some of the people with uh, Brady fatigue. I'm I'm, I'm along with Cap. I've got Brady fatigue. And uh, Danny, I think his middle name, his middle name, every catch today will be Danny freaking Amendola (laughs) because he catches the damn ball the last two games. He must have like 18 catches and uh, he never stops. So we will talk a lot, obviously, about the Patriots and the Eagles. And uh, you guys have put together a nice show today. Uh, you and Eric Ostrowski um, have worried, have hooked it up. So we're going to talk to all the hosts today. Yeah, we're going to get them all on. You may have heard them throughout the course of the week. Cap and Carm and Yurko and Waddle and Sylvie and Jay Hood. But you're going to hear them all here with us in the next couple hours. Well, a couple of reasons, Fred. One, uh, to get their Super Bowl pick. Uh, two, a lot of people are going to talk about Waddle's party later mm-hmm. on today. And then three, Brian Urlacher gets into the Hall of Fame. So why not talk yeah. to everyone else who's talked about Brian Urlacher's career here on ESPN 1000, get some perspective on Urlacher, and then also previewing the Eagles and the Patriots. Yeah, Brian Urlacher going to the Hall of Fame yesterday. And I don't know about you, Chris. It surprised me only because the uh, Hall of Fame committee decided to bring in not only two middle linebackers, but also two wide receivers. I mean, I thought Terrell Owens belonged, but I didn't think he'd get in because of Randy Moss. And I was worried about Erlacher because of Ray Lewis. All four of them got in, and I think rightfully so. Absolutely. And it's surprising. You're right that they did the right thing. Because usually the Hall of Fame arguments are about... Well, these guys don't know what they're doing, and these writers got it wrong, and that's what we're used to debating. Mm -hmm. And it's refreshing that they did the right thing. Erlacher, Moss, Owens, Ray Lewis, and Dawkins as well. But, like, 
Two at each position should get in because if you just go with the gut and say, is this guy a Hall of Famer or not? I think you say yes automatically for all four of those guys. So the fact that they're both linebackers or both wide receivers, I don't care. They're two of the best wide receivers that played in the last 20 years. Of course they they should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care that Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis are both linebackers. They both get in because guess what? They played the position differently. There are probably, yeah, and and you look at those four. There are probably equal number of people that despise Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, and Terrell Owens for various reasons. Sure. Uh, You know, there was a little incident down in Atlanta for Ray Lewis. There was Randy Moss and, uh, you know, Joe Buck calling him out for for a celebration. There was Terrell Owens for running to the star down in Dallas and opening his arms up and Mm -hmm. all the problems that apparently he had in the locker room. But it was nice to see that they all got into the Hall of Fame because they were the best at what they did. They were the best wide receivers. They were the best linebackers. Now, Erlacher, I don't know that anybody despised Erlacher. There's even quotes, and we don't have the sound of them, but there are quotes of Aaron Rodgers basically saying, I think he's the smartest player that I've ever played against. Greg Olson says he made everybody feel special from the ticket guy to the starting quarterback. He made everybody out there feel special. And I think as a Bears fan, when you were watching Brian Erlacher out there, and if you want to jump in, 312-332-3776, talking about Erlacher getting to the Hall of Fame. When you think about him, you always felt safe that he would do the right thing. And you brought up the absolute... I was sitting upstairs getting ready for this show, and you yeah. brought up the absolute perfect thing about Brian Erlacher and Lovey Smith's uh, defense. And you watch some of the highlights. There is no middle linebacker that dropped in coverage to cover the tight end or the crossing wide receiver better than Brian Erlacher. Yeah, he would just stalk back there and just wait. And then make his move. And right. he was so good at it. And even if it wasn't a interception or a pass deflection, th- think about all those Bears games where they would drop back into the cover too late in the game where the Bears had the lead. And then the little pass would dump over the middle. And here comes Erlacher. And you're like, oh, there's no way this guy's getting right. past Erlacher. Exactly. So like, like the ability to just keep everything in front and to play that cover two defense, which is so impressive on so many Sundays while we sat at Soldier Field and watched because you knew that he was the best at what he did. And he allowed that defense to excel. And I think that's I think the key to Erlacher is. Remember the moments we had from Nathan Vasher where he had the the multiple games with interceptions or how about the big pop hits over the middle from Lance Briggs or the Mike Brown, Mike Brown. (laughs) Yes. The Mike Brown touchdowns at the end of the game when they won against what was that Cleveland and the 49ers. Um, Erlacher was the best. He didn't always give you the highlight play. But he allowed everyone around him to do the highlight play because yeah. he was taking care of everything else. And I told a story on um, Friday night when we were talking about Erlacher. Is, do you remember the play? I don't remember what year. I know they're playing the San Francisco 49ers. And I know it was a game where it was very windy because every single game against the 49ers at oh, Soldier yeah. Field is a windy game. Sure. It was one of those games where the, the kick would go up and then go a 90-degree angle the wrong way. Um Erlacher was going into the rush towards the line of scrimmage and an offensive lineman grabbed his arm and had him held, pinned, and the pass went over Erlacher's head and with one arm, he tipped it up in the air and as he was being held, reached back and grabbed the ball and pulled it into his body as the offensive lineman was pushing him into the ground Uh with two hands and he got the interception. There was a holding call on the play and it was just... 
I, I think it was a little bit later in his career, but it was just one of those plays that I always stick out in my head that like his pure athleticism and his ability to watch where the quarterback's eyes are going, get to the line of scrimmage, and cause disruption. It was just so excellent. Well, and there's another thing too. And I went, I, I went on, uh, I just searched Brian Erlacher highlights. Yeah. And there was a 9:59 highlight roll from that's on YouTube, and you hear. Uh, about Brian Erlacher, you see all the stuff that he does, and that play is on there. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. that play is in there. It's and the 49ers, right? I think so. Okay. I think so, and and that play is in there, and there are so many great plays, and when you go back and watch these plays, you forget that there was, you know, the way he hit, and I look, too, almost every hit, he had his helmet to the side. Yeah. He wasn't leading with his helmet. He played the game the way the game was supposed to be played. Nobody beat the Bears side to side because that's what he did. He made sure that side to side you were not going to beat him. Now, later in his career, like all guys, he slowed down a little bit. But you know what? He might not have gotten the sacks, but he was still a guy that was uh, tackling like crazy. His last three years, uh, 96 tackles, 84 tackles, and then 53 tackles in only 12 games back in 2012. But when you watch the highlights of him, and you'll see these, you think that he has like a dozen interceptions or touchdowns or interceptions or fumble returns for yeah, touchdowns right. he has four now it it seemed like a lot more than that when you're watching the highlights but what he also did and you brought up the point talking about the other players when you're watching the highlights of brian Erlacher, and you probably remember a lot of these he's the guy that stripped the ball that peanut picked up and yep. went for the touchdown yeah against the cardinals yep. Yep, in the comeback and uh, he did that another one with mike brown he took it away mike brown returns the ball let's see interceptions for touchdowns he had one against the titans late in the career right he had one against the Green Bay Packers where he intercepted Aaron Rodgers, I believe. Yeah, you know what? There's only two listed, one in 07 and one in 2012. Now, he may have been more in playoffs because they made the playoffs. Yeah, right. a, a rarity for the Bears. They made the playoffs back then. What a time to be alive when the Bears were in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, How about that? Exactly. So they actually made the playoffs. So some of those may be in the playoffs. He also holds, and I, I always love mentioning this stat because it allows me to mention one of my good friends who passed away uh, a couple years ago. But you look at Brian Erlacher. And he had 22 career interceptions, tied for 11th most in Bears history, tied for the second among linebackers with Dick Butkus. The only linebacker with more interceptions was Doug Buffon, who had 24. Wow. So Erlacher with 22 interceptions, he tied Butkus. Buffon had 24. And, it, you know, when you look growing up at the Chicago Bears, it was mm-hmm. always running backs and middle linebackers. Yep. Running backs, middle linebackers. And, um, you know, since Erlacher left, they've been trying to find you know, another one, and now they've changed defenses, and now that there's not necessarily a middle linebacker, there's inside guys, but yeah, watching Brian Erlacher get in, and the whole thing with him accidentally leaving the Do Not Disturb uh, <laughs> tag on his door yesterday when the guy from the Hall of Fame just ignored <laughs> it and knocked anyway, which is, thank goodness, because there's nothing worse, and we saw it enough with Ron Santo when he was waiting to get into the Hall of Fame, nothing worse than a video camera showing you, and then all of a sudden, there's no knock at the door. What's going on? Yeah, it's sad. They, they, the only thing that's sadder is the video of the green room when people are waiting for the NFL yes. draft. Uh, two things that you mentioned there that, that I totally agree with is it's nice and it's cool that when Brian Erlacher was drafted, we said this team has a rich history and the position of middle linebacker is very important to all of us who are Chicago Bear fans. And it's cool that he turned into one of those guys. Right. Like, that's awesome from day one that we knew, like, yeah, but Buckus. Yeah, but Singletary. You know, like, 
But it's great that Erlacher eventually turned into that. And the other thing that I take away that's not necessarily on the stat sheet when you look at his career, remember all the games where, like, the Colts would come into town and Peyton Manning is orchestrating his offense, right? Remember, the Colts would go to their no huddle, and they were one of the first teams to just implement straight no huddle, and Manning's up there doing all his calls, right? I always remember the Colts at Soldier Field and watching Manning do his calls and Erlacher doing his right. and mimicking and, and playing a chess game against Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. But I knew that the Bears defense was set and ready to go because Erlacher was great at calling and changing the defenses based on what Lovey Smith and the Bears needed to do. And I just always remember not a specific play right. from Erlacher, but him doing his audible call where he would like take his hands above sure. his shoulder pads. And you knew that everyone was on the same page. Unfortunately, uh, not everyone got the memo <laughs> in the Super Bowl. And uh, that one play that, who was it, that uh, Daniel Manning? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Box he, coverage. Yeah. That, uh, and that was early in the game, too. And then everybody knows. Reg, Reggie Wayne just running all by himself down yeah. the field. But, you know, Erlacher versus Manning, that's something I'm going to remember as Right. Well. And then also anybody that remembers uh, in that game, this is the last time we'll talk about that Super Bowl game, all they had to do was hand the ball off to Thomas Jones. They were running yeah. the ball like crazy. And then all of a sudden they tied, you know, uh, Norv, or, um, yeah, Turner said that we've got to throw the ball. We, no, you don't have to throw the ball. It's raining. You can run the ball. You've got Thomas Jones. And you didn't. And um, then. Yeah, the bad things happen. Before we get much further, and we'll get to some of the callers, 312-332-3776. Um, 17-22 at the start of the fourth, Fred. They had a shot. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All they did was run the ball and I score. I mean, they could have done it easily. Um, the 2000 draft preview from Joel Bucksbaum and the guys from Pro Football Weekly. I went and I save all my draft preview booklets. And yeah. uh, Joel passed away, and they continue to do them. Um, at Pro Football Weekly. But they have Brian Urlacher, and they have him listed as outside linebacker, strong safety, tight end. He's listed at three different <laughs> positions. And it says here, his positives, terrific all-around athlete, outstanding stamina and endurance, big, strong, fast, agile, tough and instinctive, with outstanding intangibles, top competitor, extremely versatile, best hands on the team, and is his team's best special teams player and tackler. Okay, so that was him in college. Right. The summary that they have for him is top athlete whose versatility is both a curse and a blessing in the eyes of some teams. Okay. Reminds me a lot. This was this was the report. Reminds me a lot of Brad Van Pelt when Van Pelt came to the Giants as an All-American Rover Monster Man uh, from Michigan State. Van Pelt struggled to find a position at first, tight end, safety, special teams, uh, linebacker, and was known as a jack of all trades and master of none until he mastered the outside linebacker position and became a pro bowler. Well, now the question was, where was he going to play? They found a spot for Brian Urlacher. They were gonna they were gonna look at him at safety, and they said, no, he's gonna play middle linebacker for us and now he's in the hall of fame and well, it's just great to see fred i wonder if brian erlacher came out today would they keep him at safety and he'd be more like a cam chancellor type player who was who's not just playing safety no but playing in the box as well and right. just being that both kind of positional yeah, player might I, be. I wonder if that's something that a team would look at if Erlacher was drafted, say, this year. And with his hands, he might have been a tight end, too. He might have been playing both ways. Yeah, I yeah. mean... Because we're still waiting to see what Adam Sheehan I mean, can do. Yeah, right. This team could use a, <laughs> a tight end that could catch, right? 312-332-3776. Let's grab a call. Right before we started, you had a great segment about uh, food. Ooh, yeah. And, and uh, we've got uh, going down to Louisville, Nick. Nick, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? 
uh, every Super Bowl Sunday, guys. You do. I wanted to add on uh, with uh, Chef Hopkins about, like, I know you said, um, Black Dad, brisket's your favorite thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, big green, the Big Green Egg is an awesome smoker. Now, granted, you couldn't go and buy a Big Green Egg today and start cooking brisket because it takes about 12 to 14 hours. But going forward, you want to step up your Super Bowl game, invest in a Big Green Egg. That and chicken wings or even just taking, like, just plain meatballs and then putting them on the smoker, they're fantastic. Nick, let me ask you a question. Nick, let me ask you a question yeah. here. How isn't the big green egg expensive? Like really expensive? You know, every, it's about a thousand bucks. But what they do is they do different events throughout the year. They'll do like little egg fests okay. where I actually, I actually cook in a lot of those. I cook at it one time. You can buy it at like those events for like seven hundred dollars. You get the same thing. It's just been oh, used one time. Got it. That's what I would recommend. Always take a look at it. Investigate it, and I'm telling you, it's fantastic. It's like having a, a pizza oven in your backyard too. Ooh. You can get up to like eight, nine hundred degrees. It's awesome. That's great. But, uh, also, I wanted to add on a little. You know, you're looking to pad your wallet today. Uh, pink with ashlanthum is definitely going to go more than two minutes and one and a half seconds. Typically, uh, the the ashlanthum goes for about two minutes and five seconds. So there's a little prop bet for you, and then also. Uh, adding back on to the you know Bears in the Super Bowl in two thousand and what seven, two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't see Devin Hester running out there uh, today. So the other one I would recommend wagering on is that there is a Billy Billy commercial yeah. before a, before a score in Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, there's probably there. Like yeah. There's a good chance of that, Nick. We appreciate the call from Louisville. And uh, if you guys get a chance, the guys from Goose Island, okay, who is owned by. Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch yep. bought, bought Goose Island a few years ago. There was uh, there's a great video that Goose Island put out there. And it was them going to the offices of Anheuser-Busch and trying to get them to run a craft beer commercial in uh, the game, <laughs> in the football game. And they did it like a week and a half ago. And it was so cool because they walk into the offices and they're trying to convince them, come on, we've got this, uh, uh, you know, this great craft beer. And they said, maybe next year. <laughs> but we and it's a really really funny. So if you get a chance, go on over to Goose Island. Throughout the course of the show, we are going to talk to all of our hosts here on ESPN One Thousand and get their selections for Super Bowl Fifty Two. And if you listen at all to Cap and Company, you pretty much know that this guy's going to have a mask on at Tommy Waddle's house. Yeah, Patriots mask. Uh, he can't <laughs> wait to root on Tom Brady full. He's going to wear the Brady jersey. He's going to have a Belichick sweater. He's going to have a, a mask of Gronkowski. He's all Patriots up. He's ready to go for today. Yeah, it is our own David Kaplan. Hey, Cap. What's up, boys? How we doing? We're doing well. How about you? Just sitting here in the Pittsburgh airport waiting to fly back home and get ready for Tommy Waddle's extravaganza. Okay, now most people that have listened to you throughout the course of the week, they know where you're going. Uh, you've got you've got your dog mask, and I think you've got your Eagles jersey. You got all kinds of things going on. What's your score? No jersey, no jersey. No jersey. No okay, jersey. I know you got the the hoodie, right? The dog hoodie. Yeah, I got a black hoodie with the Eagles dog on the front and the Eagles logo. Okay, yeah. so what do you? And I got the Doug Peterson visor with the fake gray hair, so it looks like I have hair. There you go. There you go. It's funny that he oh, was man. he was playing not that long ago. Uh, so what do you got for a score real quickly in the winter for the game? And then we want to ask you about Erlacher after that. 
31-24, Philadelphia Eagles. Big day for Nick Foles. Fletcher Cox is going to be a monster, and the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. That's going to be fun. I, I would love to see oh. him them win, too, for another reason I'll talk about later on. Yeah, Cap, uh, what's the, the matchup? The thing that would be better would be if it was like 81-24. Yeah, okay. All right. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cap, uh, what's the matchup you're looking forward to most in the game? Uh, I think I really want to watch how the Patriots deal with Fletcher Cox, one. Two, I want to see how they handle Brent Selleck. Look, obviously Gronk is the best tight end in football, uh, probably him and Travis Kelsey, but Selleck's uh, a really good player. I think he has a chance to make some plays in the passing game. But how are the Eagles going to defend Rob Gronkowski? He's the greatest. Now, before we let you go, and uh, hopefully you'll catch your plane and everything will be cool on the way in here. It's just snowing, but just a little bit here in Chicago. Brian Erlacher goes in, first ballot Hall of Famer. First, were you surprised that the uh, NFL Hall of Fame voters did the right thing? And second, maybe your your best memory, the one thing you remember about when you think about Brian Erlacher. Uh, no, I was not surprised because, for me, the eye test is what tells you the guy's a Hall of Famer. Like, you know, like this whole first ballot, second ballot, you got to wait. If you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. And so my eye test tells me Brian was a Hall of Famer. So thank goodness they did the right thing. My best memory, uh, I mean, obviously, his, the defense that took them to the Super Bowl uh, was one. But then he had a intercept, or I think it was a fumble recovery. He picked up against the Tennessee Titans and he rumbled through on the field and Hopped over well, a prone defender on the ground trying to grab him, and he ended up getting into the end zone for a touchdown. And that one's always stuck in my mind when the Bears went down to Nashville and just completely obliterated the Titans. Hey, Cap, in like 20 years, if you have to describe Erlacher to someone who never saw him play, how would you describe him? Uh, I would say think of a linebacker who was ferocious, exceptionally athletic, unbelievably quick, a team leader, and he was everything you would want in the signal caller of your defense. You couldn't find a better. Were there guys that maybe were bigger? Were there guys that might have hit harder? Absolutely. Ray Lewis was a great player. But if you want the whole package of what a linebacker is supposed to be at the Mike linebacker, that was Brian Erlacher. And as we let you go, Cap, he's 40 years old. He just won the MVP. Tom Brady, is this his last Super Bowl? <laughs> Uh, I am going to go out on a limb and tell you that he will not play in another Super Bowl. Okay. Cap, what happens if the Patriots win by, like, three touchdowns today? You, you cool? Everything good? I'll be long gone. I can promise you that. <laughs> Cap, best of luck on your way home, and uh, guys will all see you at the party tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it. Love you guys. See you. See you, Cap. David Kaplan, one of the hardest working men in all of broadcasting. He did a game last night. He is coming back. He is in Pittsburgh on his way back uh, for the uh, Tommy Waddle extravaganza. We've got Waddle on later on, as right now he's probably cleaning house. I, I can imagine Waddle. He's up early cleaning house, making sure they got enough plates, enough glasses. You know, I put, we, are we going to have enough ice? Yeah, right. And I, I put on Twitter yesterday promoting that we're going to have everyone on today until 1230. Every ESPN 1000 personality is going to join Fred and myself. And I had a few people respond by saying, 
Hey guys, why don't you just broadcast live from Waddle's house? I thought that would have been a great idea. Then you don't have to travel, and then you Uh could have people coming and going. I'm like, well, the Waddles are sleeping. Yes, they are. They're probably not up right now, and they don't want two idiots. I'm sorry to call you an idiot, but I'm an idiot. You you pegged me exactly correct. Two guys just sitting in the living room doing a radio show. I don't think that's what uh, Carl Waddle wants this morning. We could have sat in his office. We could have sat in his other room where he's got the three TVs and everything else. No, we could just be in the basement. We could have actually taught him how to use some of his TVs. I know you're really good at some of the cord cutting stuff. And I know he can only watch Netflix on one of his TVs. He needs help on the other TV. So we could have done that. But no. Hey, I've got a story about uh, Super Bowl food. And I am, uh, unfortunately, not making it to Waddle's today. I got a quick story for you. We come back. It's Chris Black, Fred Huebner, 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Chris Black, Fred Huebner with you here on ESPN 1000. We heard from Cap. He gave his pick. The Eagles 31-24. We're going to hear from Carmen, Jay Hood, Yurko, Sylvie, Tom Waddle. And, um, you know, you mentioned how Waddle will be sleeping. And Greg on Twitter says, uh, sure. Waddle better not be sleeping. He better be out shoveling the driveway for his guests. Oh, please, Greg. You know he has that heated driveway life. Come well, on now. You know what? And everybody says that he does. <laughs> and it, he should because it's so big. Yeah. But I got a feeling there's somebody that they pay to, to take care of that driveway because it's a big one. The driveway, I mean. Yes. Yes. A long driveway. Yes, long, I, circular. Yes. You got the fountain in front. Yeah, well, you, the, the, the one fountain. Yeah. Well, you know. How many do you have to navigate just to get to the front door? I know. All right, I just one. You got to make your way through that. Waddle crap. Um, I mentioned uh, I'm going to be unable to make it to Waddle's house today. Yeah, I made that's... it the last couple of years, and I had told Abdallah that I was going to bring uh, craft beer and you know share it with the uh, people like Joe McCardle, our, our uh, imaging guy, and sure. some other people. But uh, my wife has had had a procedure on Sunday. She's been dealing with uh, cancer the last couple of years. She had a procedure the other day, and the last they they told her you don't you want to avoid uh, the chance of getting an infection. Oh yeah, don't go to a party. It would, with... It's a petri dish yeah. over yeah. at the Waddle's house today i mean let's let's just be honest there's dogs there's children there's uh yeah, you toss the keys into yeah, the bucket yeah exactly yeah. so so we're gonna be at home but so my brother's coming over and my nephew and you know we've had they've been over for conference championships i love when they come over for wild card saturday and stuff like that so we've already had all the other stuff we had we had pizza we had um some other two two weeks ago we had the, the uh, white castle crave case between games so we've had a lot of different things. So today it's Sloppy Joe's. And any of my friends that are out there listening, mm, and I got sloppy. friends that listen, yeah. um, we had, I think it was a Super Bowl party where I had all my buddies over. And I had about yeah. 12 guys. So obviously I only have like five buddies, so they brought friends. Um, so we were there, and two of my best friends who unfortunately have passed away, I, I'm, I'm nothing but good news, right, um, that have one of my favorite <laughs> At stories. At least we have football today, yeah, Fred. <laughs> right, and we'll get to it. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good story. Yeah, okay. And so my wife made sloppy joes, and she made them in the crock pot and yeah. left the crock pot on the table in the, in the basement where we had a lovely um, beige carpeting. 
maybe more white than beige. Uh, I even. see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And my good buddy Bob Liptek, uh, he put he made a great, great um, sloppy Joe sandwich. But because it, you know the sloppy Joes are great, you don't want to eat enough bread. He filled up the rest of his plate with the sloppy Joe meat. <laughs> well, the plates my wife had bought were like those plastic ones instead of the paper plates. And as he picked it up, it's really hot because the sloppy Joe's gets yeah. and his hand went. Out oh, and no. the the plate went up in the air and it came down and as it was coming down it was like slow motion I saw it on its way down and when it hit the ground it was like those bombs you see on TV <laughs> it exploded and it was sloppy joes all over they, it hit the bar it hit the wall it hit everything and there was like a gasp because people know you know I first of all you just build sloppy joes we're gonna sure, wait right. and take care of all this stuff. yeah my buddy freaked out he couldn't believe it but. So we, they always talk about having Sloppy Joe's. I have not had Sloppy Joe's served in my basement since then. <laughs> and this has to be a good decade ago, if not more. Right. But the best part is my good buddy Sam DeCio was sitting at the bar, and he was shaking his head. And I thought he was shaking his head because of what my buddy Lip did. And he said, it's such a shame. It, <laughs> he goes, it's such a shame. It was such a nice sandwich. <laughs> And we use that line quite often. So yeah. we're, I'm having Sloppy Joes, but there's only going to be three or four of us in the basement today. So I'm hoping right. that there's no more Sloppy Joes spilled because my wife already wants carpeting uh, in the basement, new carpeting. So maybe she'll just come down and spill the whole thing. Now, so we'll can, have you, no can you make them upstairs in the kitchen? And That's what we're going to do. Bring them down. And, but give give your guys uh, maybe a bigger plate, plate to put the plate on. Yes. I'm maybe gonna, a tray? Yeah. Something. That could help? We've got to do something because there's no way I can have another Sloppy Joe experience yeah. and, uh, and, and tragedy. It's not and good. And that's exactly what it was, a Sloppy Such Joe tragedy. Such a shame to waste a sandwich like oh, that. Never want to see a sandwich wasted. It was an awesome, awesome uh, sandwich. There's a couple things. Right before um, I came on, you were talking about uh, a stat that you've used a lot during the course of the year because you were referring sure. to a DVOA with the Chicago Bears because mm -hmm. a lot of people said, well, the Bears are this, the Bears are seventh, the Bears are eighth, yeah. the Bears are tenth, and you would say, well, according to the DVOA, they're they're not. They're not right. that good. They're not as good as we were talking about them. Um, yeah, for example, uh, they finished the season ranked 20th in defensive DVOA, even though everyone keeps saying they're a top 10 defense. They're not. Yeah, and but see, I printed one up today from yeah. Football Outsiders, and it was uh, the DVOA, and it talked about last year the Bears were 23rd. It's kind of been mm -hmm. 14th this year. Now, is there a different defensive DVOA than offensive DVOA? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, there's a, so they rank each unit. So okay. you can do offense, uh, defense, special teams, and then they give you like win percentage. They give you playoff percentage, so your your chances of making the playoffs. Then they give you total DVOA, which is everything combined, uh, which is really a cool way. It, listen, it's a stat, right? But the one thing that it does help is if there's a team that maybe you're unsure of, you can look at it and say, "Oh, wow, they like." Early on, remember how the Rams were like the hot young team? It oh, was sure. like, are they really good? Well, they finished the season third overall in DVOA. And really, by the end of the season, they were one of the best teams in football. They didn't win their playoff game, but they got there. So it's a good stat to look at when you're like, especially if you're gambling and you're taking a look at good teams against bad teams and where they stack up in individual matchups because maybe the numbers could lie. Or they could be telling you something that you're maybe not seeing with your eyes. And the one thing that like I always point to is like 
special teams, we know when a team returns something for a touchdown. Right. But how often are we all tracking the individual special teams plays that don't result yeah. in a big scoring play? Not, Almost not never. many. Right. But the DVOA points out when teams are like really good or really bad. And that's one of the things looking at the matchup today is the Eagles are ranked 21st overall. The Patriots are second. So when you think of the Patriots and the way they play games, they're taking every edge they can and they're maximizing it. And the fact that the Patriots are so good on special teams, that might be one of the ways to lean if you're looking at breaking down this individual matchup. One of the problems I've had with the Bears throughout the course of the year, and also mm-hmm. it's continued with other teams, is teams returning the kickoff when the ball goes into the end zone. Sure. You will not see the Patriots, for the most part, do that. If the ball goes into the end zone, the Patriots are smart enough to say, listen, they're giving us a quarter of the field. We're going to take the ball to 25. Right. Okay? And what the Patriots also do when they kick off is they don't kick the ball into the end zone. They kick the ball between like sure. the seven and, t- and goal line so that you have to return it. And the right. odds are you're not going to make it right. to the 25-yard line. You'll see those things, little things to watch, and that's one of the reasons the Patriots are who the Patriots are. Right. They are the best at scheming the system that has been created, and it's not cheap because it's within the rules. But, like, another thing that, like, there are so many different things that people are writing about this week and talking about with the Patriots. But, like, one of the most simple things ever, and Fred... You and I are from two different generations. I grew up playing football video games. Right. You did not. And the one I thing, try to play them now. But yeah, I'm you not try to play them now. But like, I think for anyone below the age of like 35, maybe even 40, who played video games growing up, you know, if you want to really stick it to the guy you're playing with, you always defer. Uh-huh. Because if you're smart enough, you can work the end of the half score into you getting the ball back and yep. you get the back-to-back possessions. And now, in a video game... All of a sudden, you're down 14 points. How are you going to come back from that? And the Patriots are like the only team in football that continually tries to do that. And that's why I thought it was so smart of uh, the the Jackson in the Jacksonville game. The Jacksonville won the coin toss and they deferred on purpose. And it was like they knew what they wanted it for right. themselves, but they also knew that if you could limit the Patriots from that double score sure. at the end of the second half and the start of the third quarter. That really goes a long way to trying to beat them. They couldn't beat them, but I thought it was a really smart play by Jacksonville. And it stuff like that is just so smart. And like you said, kicking the ball just short of the goal line, it's brilliant. Yeah, it Make is. them try and return it. You're probably going to stop them around the 15 or the 20-yard line, 10 yards short sometimes of what they would get if you just kicked it as hard into as you could into zone. the end zone. It's, yeah. it's idiotic to keep doing it that We'll way. see what they do today. Jake Elliott, the kid from yeah. Western Springs and LT. One one quick line, and uh, if you hear some stats throughout the course of the day and you say, hey, I read that in uh, Bill Barnwell. Yeah, yeah, I'm not coming up with all these stats. Bill Barnwell <laughs> had a great, great uh, two-piece, basically, preview of the Super Bowl. One of, them hit, one of his things was he said New England finished – 31st in defensive DVOA. Now, this is where the season came to an end, before Mm -hmm. the playoffs. Um, Suggesting it's one of the league's worst defenses. Their defense, though, faced only 172 possessions. Fifth fewest. 12 below the average. And the one thing the Patriots don't do, they don't turn the ball over very much. Only Kansas City turned the ball over fewer times than the Patriots. So they talk so much about uh, not turning the ball over, keeping control of it, winning the uh, turnover battle, and the, the Patriots usually do that. You don't see Brady throwing a lot of interceptions either. Right. And Fred, you bring up the defense rank in DVOA. So DVOA on Football Outsiders, they do it and they update it after every single game. So each round of the playoffs, each game throughout the playoffs, they update the stats for everybody. And since 
the playoffs started at the end of the season where they're ranked 31st. They're now ranked 17th going into the Super Bowl. So throughout the playoffs, they've been outstanding. At the end of the season, they were better than they were at the start of the season. And it just all goes back into the mindset of Bill Belichick, where he doesn't say, this is our team and this is how we're going to go. It's, this is what we have now, and we will turn into a great team by the end of the year. And that's how they approach games. We might be bad in the first quarter, but we will turn into the best team on the field by the fourth quarter. Remember all the panic uh, when uh, Kansas City ran right over him at the start of the season? Yeah, I mean, I was working cap show the day after when uh, the Patriots were done and they yeah. weren't going to win the division uh-huh. and this that and the other so there's something uh we're going to get to carmen in just a moment but there's also something with brady and belichick going into today that we need to address and we'll bring it up coming up and by the way if if in fact you missed bill barnwell's article not that he listens but two minutes ago he just sent a thing one last link to my super bowl preview so follow bill barnwell on yeah. uh, twitter at bill barnwell and uh, you can track it down there are we going to carmen now or after the commercial break we're going after the break. Our guy, right. Carmen DeFalco, I'm sure that uh, he's all geeked up for this. We'll see who he likes for Super Bowl 52. It's Black and Hubner. We're here till 1230 on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. The snow is flying here in front of our State Street studio. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Everyone's gearing up for their celebration and then getting ready for the Patriots and the Eagles. We're going to break down uh, all of the games with our uh, our guys. We talked with Cap a little bit earlier. We'll get to uh, Carmen and Jay Hood and Yurko and Sylvie and Waddle. Get all of their predictions. One thing you were talking before um, during Best of 1000 with uh, Chef Hans from yep. Three Forks. Yep, Three okay. Forks, yep. And uh, this is uh, something that Eric Ostrowski just handed me. The real Super Bowl winner is Wings fans. According to the National Chicken Council, an estimated 1.35 billion wings will be consumed on Sunday, up 1.5% from last year. That's enough wings to circle the earth three times if laid end to end. Uh, when it comes to dressing, 59% prefer ranch, 33% prefer blue cheese. And the losers are the chickens. Yes, yes, they definitely are the chickens. Okay, chicken wings, your favorite. Do you like the drums or do you like the... Ooh, good question. Do you know the, the secret life hack to eating the ones that are not the drums? No. If you twist the end and tear the tendon, it all, you can just pull the bones right out and keep the meat in your hand. Can you really? I would keep have to try that. Keep the meat in your hand. That's a cut for you uh, for later. <laughs> it it uh, certainly is. Uh, favorite uh, taste for the wing. I go teriyaki. Teriyaki's that's my, good. That's my go-to. Garlic Parmesan. Garlic Parmesan, good as yeah. well. Garlic Parmesan is one of my it. favorites. I was never... Uh, I, anything with garlic I'll like, but they yeah. threw the Parmesan in there, and they, that really tipped it in. I've got some barbecued ones for uh, today, just ones we bought, because yeah. we weren't going to sit and worry about them. We, we I'm not a Buffalo guy. Bought them. I don't like the Buffalo taste. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It all depends if I'm drinking heavily and what kind of beer I'm <laughs> drinking. If I'm drinking uh, a lesser uh, lager, then I'll drink. Sure. Then I'll, I don't won't mind. But if I'm drinking like a better beer, a craft beer, then I don't. I don't want that kind. What kind is our next guy uh, like? Cameron DeFalco. I'm sure he'd like a little, uh, a little marinara maybe on his uh, his oh. wings. A little marinara. Hey, listen, uh, I married an Italian. I can, on wings. I can, yeah. Well, you know what. You would, Don't say Italians. it goes on everything. <laughs> it does go well at everything. Carmen DeFalco joining us. Come on, marinara goes well at everything, doesn't it, Carm? It kind of does, actually. <laughs> I mean, you know, breadsticks, chicken, pasta, like 
it goes it goes well with just about everything. Yeah, there's Can't no lie. doubt about it. Uh, Carmen DeFalco joining us here on ESPN 1000. Wanted to get uh, Super Bowl predictions and thoughts about Brian Erlacher from all of our hosts. And, of course, we're beating him to the punch before they get their own show tomorrow. Uh, Carmen and Yurko tomorrow from noon until 2. Carmen, we'll talk about Erlacher in a second. But uh, the big game, we already had Caps. And uh, you pretty much know what Cap was looking for. He's got his, uh, oh, dog, God, yeah. Yeah, he's got his dog mask <laughs> and everything going on. But uh, what do you think about the game today and what's your prediction? I am also going to be rooting for the Eagles. I'm not a maniac, and I'm not wearing Eagles gear in a dog mask um, like Cap. But uh, I'm going to be on the underdog for for tonight. So I do like the Eagles, uh, certainly with the points. A little smaller play on the money line. I just have this. It's weird to say that you have a minor vibe going against Brady and Belichick, but I don't know. I mean. Maybe I'm crazy for putting uh, my trust and my confidence in Nick Foles. I just think that in in a lot of areas, they're a better team. Um, unfortunately, I think we'd all feel a lot better if it was Carson Wentz. You know, it does uh, sometimes and oftentimes it does come down to that most important position, and there's an obvious, uh, a clear, distinct advantage for the Patriots. But uh, if Foles could even be at, I don't know, 70%, 75% of what he was, in the NFC title game, I really think the Eagles have a chance. They're a good football team. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to roll with the Eagles. I'm not wearing a mask, but I am going to uh, be cheering for the underdog tonight. Hey, Carmen, you're really good at following what happens in Vegas. And right now I'm seeing the line is at four and a half. What have you made of the way the line has moved over the last two weeks? Oh, I think a lot of times, uh, especially in games like this, Chris, it's all about, uh, you know, Vegas is always trying to protect itself. The line reflects how the public is going to gamble. And if you're not a Patriots fan, um, and let's face it, uh, most of the people around the country probably are not. I think there are a lot of people like Cap that are just sort of sick of the dynasty and sick of Brady and Belichick. And when you get those sort of things at play, uh, you're going to get a lot of people betting the underdog. And I think that's why you saw that line start to dip down, uh, or especially you know within the first couple of days uh, when the line was posted two weeks ago. You know, you saw a lot of public money come in on the Eagles. Um, they were hovering somewhere right around two to one as an underdog on the money line, and that has been bet down. Uh, I think Todd Furman told us on Friday that six out of every seven tickets that were coming in, money line tickets, were on the Philadelphia Eagles. So I think the public likes to play underdogs in this situation in a big game where everybody's watching and, and more casual fans are going to make a wager or are going to watch. They're going to bet the underdog, and that's why you've seen the line tick down a little from where it uh, originally opened at five and a half. I'm sure you probably know this, Carmen. I'm looking here at Las Vegas storyline stats and info, and it says here through the first ten games of this postseason, underdogs are a historic nine and one against the spread. Already the yeah. best against the spread mark in the Super Bowl era. Underdogs have had uh, five outright wins, one upset shy of matching the most uh, in a single postseason. Yeah, and last year, Freddie, was all about the favorites, actually. Right, I think exactly. The conference title games last year was like 8-2, right? And But this year, it's been uh, tremendous. Uh, and, and, and I do like to play underdogs a lot. It's been a, a good postseason so far. I hope that uh, culminates with one more underdog upset win tonight. But, no, there's no doubt about it. The dogs have barked all year. I, you know, and two of those wins, think about how awkward or, or how out of a, not awkward, but how out of a spot it'd be for a team like the Eagles with the top seed to be an underdog twice at home. I mean, I think that's why the number is maybe uh, skewed a little bit 
because the Eagles were the number one seed and they were an underdog twice in their own building. Yeah. I mean, like that, that never, that in normal circumstances, that would just never happen. But because of the Carson Wentz injury, the Falcons and Vikings both go in there as uh, favorites and the Eagles win both outright. So maybe a little bit of a bizarre circumstance because of the Wentz injury and where the Eagles were. Uh, when when he got hurt, they already had a pretty good uh, grasp on the top seed in the NFC. So I think it's skewed a little. But yeah, it's been a great uh, been a great January so far uh, for for the underdogs. Any prop bets that you're keeping your eyes on today? Yeah, I kind of like uh, I like the Amendola total to go over. Uh, one that we talked about on the show a lot this week, Chris. Is I like I like the Brandon Cooks over his total reception, a uh, single longest reception. It's uh, twenty six and a half or twenty seven. They they do like to. I mean, when they're gonna go downfield, it's usually gonna be to him on the sideline. He had a thirty one yard reception in the AFC title game. He had the second uh, uh, highest number of receptions during the regular season of twenty seven yards or more. He had thirteen of those catches uh, in the regular season, and that was second most in the league. So I, I like that one. Um, I don't have a ton of prop. I usually don't play a ton of these. Actually, I don't get too carried away with the crossover ones either. But uh, those are two that I kind of particularly like for today. And then also I like, uh, not that it's a prop, but I, I like the first half under a little bit today, too. It's a 24, laying a little extra juice with that for the under, but I like the under 24 for the first half. Uh, quickly, do you have a score for the game? Um, I will go with something like, I'm going to roll probably Eagles 24, Patriots Twenty-one, something like. How's that? Okay. Sound? That sound good. All right, sounds good. And uh, your thoughts on Brian Erlacher getting in first ballot yesterday, the Hall of Fame? Very happy for him. Um, I, you know, I'm glad that the the league didn't goof around with this and feel like, uh, or I shouldn't say the league, but the Hall of Fame and the voters. I'm glad they didn't feel as if they had to just, for whatever reason, put Ray Lewis in all by himself this year. They were obviously the two best players at their position in their era. Uh, I think they got it right, you know, for, for a change. I mean, they didn't goof around with Moss. Uh, they did the right thing with Teal finally. This is a historic class, guys. It's going to go in this summer, and Erlacher's a part of it. Hats off to him. Uh, you know, we, we watched and covered uh, his entire career. Um, and I remember how much doubt and, and sort of uh, reservation there was about him. You know, New Mexico, smaller school, and played safety. How's he going to be a linebacker? I mean, what a career. And uh, Brian's always been a pretty good dude to everybody at our station, yep. too. So hats off to him. I'm very happy. And uh, it's a fitting honor because he was a terrific player. Carm, congrats. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will listen. We'll see how the things go today and see if your Eagles can win. And uh, we'll listen to you tomorrow from noon to 2. Thanks All right, a lot. boys. Have a fun uh, rest of the day and enjoy the game, okay? Okay. Yep. See you later, Carm. Thanks, right, Carm. Fellas. See ya. Carmen DeFalco joining us here. We will talk with Jay Hood next hour. We'll talk with Yurko. Also talk a little baseball. That's right. Dan Zimborski from ESPN will join us. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. We're here on Super Bowl Sunday and the day after. Brian Erlacher goes to the Hall of Fame discussing it on ESPN 1000. This is game day. Robert Kraft along with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have their eighth conference championship together. The Eagles are headed for the Super Bowl and a rematch with the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52. It's game day.
Welcome back in. It is Super Bowl Sunday. There have been some Super Bowl Sundays where it snowed like a bunch. I remember, boy, four or five years ago, Waddle's party had to be canceled for the safety of the people that were going to come. I think it was three years ago because I've gone the last two years. Yeah, so and, they, and the previous year was the year I didn't go. I was supposed to. That must have been it. Then. It was too much snow. Yeah. or You know, it was a blizzard-like uh, day. Oh, it was so awful. We, we didn't go all the way up there. But. Yeah. Today, it's, it's, it looks like light snow. People are getting around. It's not a problem. And uh, the uh, Super Bowl goes on. I think kickoff a little before 530. Tonight, it'll be the Patriots wearing their white uniforms. They're 3-0 in the Super Bowl wearing their whites. Uh, going against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. we've been checking in with our hosts. Uh, both Cap and Carm like Philadelphia to win the game outright. And um, we'll discuss Jay Hood's opinion. Uh, well, he'll join us a little bit later on. Also, we'll talk some baseball bottom of the hour. And Dan Simborski from ESPN. Yurko will join us later on in the hour. Some of the other Las Vegas storylines that I've gotten here. Both Philadelphia and New England enter the game 15 and 3 straight up and 12 and 6 against the spread this season. Both tied for the best in the league. That's pretty amazing. 12 and 6 against the spread when a lot of times teams are given a lot of points and it's tough to cover. Yeah. Um but there was another one of the other things they got from Bill Barnwell that I want to make sure I I got to. And that, that was do, 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 the average defense. I mentioned this a little bit. The average defense in the NFL had to face just over 17 possessions that started in their own territory during the course of the season. The Patriots went up against just five, and two of those were guys kneeling down. Hmm. So it shows you, and you talked about you talked about special teams, and yeah. you talked about those things. And uh, the Patriots' defense, even though it struggled, they don't put them in bad positions. Right. You know, the special teams helps them be get in good positions, and because of that, again. Only five times this year did the opposition start possession inside their territory. Yeah, so teams have to go a far distance to score. And then also Tom Brady on offense is very methodical. So even though the Patriots put up a lot of points, usually it's 10 plays, 12 plays, and they're eating up clock. They're allowing the defense to rest. And and Tom Brady at the end of games just dissects your defense. Therefore, you're on the field longer. And Tom Brady's defense is resting. So, there's another thing that we'll they'll be talking about throughout the course of the game, and the Patriots do this quite often. And it may be something that our Bears, uh, our Bears, that the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky do next season. That's a lot of times where, like Peyton Manning would did, do, get to the line of scrimmage sure. and call the play at the line of scrimmage, so you prevent the other team from making substitutions. Because we all talk about how good the Philadelphia defensive line is. They've got seven defensive linemen that they would like to rotate. Well, they won't be able to rotate if Tom Brady and the Patriots get to the line of scrimmage and don't allow them to. Right. And that, you know, it's, that's going to go to the chess match that we're going to watch today. And that's why this game is so exciting because the Eagles are at their best in the front seven. Yeah. Uh, and then Tom Brady is, is the best part of the Patriots. So to watch them go back and forth, to watch Brady after a big play, get everyone up to the line of scrimmage, be able to get set and then get going is going to be something interesting to watch as well. And that, that's why this matchup so intriguing for me. You know, there's a couple of cuts here, and you were telling yeah. me about this uh, during one of the commercial breaks. Peter King, who is a guy that joins Waddle and Sylvie uh, on a weekly basis uh, during the football season, and he was talking about the possibility of what's going on with Brady and with Belichick on PTI the other day. And yep. we got a couple of cuts here. Let's hear this one first about the Brady-Belichick possible rift. Let us start with this, Peter. 
overall, and take us as far as you want, what do you think the future is for Brady and Belichick? My gut feeling, Tony, is that they'll both be back in 2018, but there is going to be a State of the Union meeting after the Super Bowl uh, between at least Kraft and Belichick, so we'll see what happens. Um, my gut feeling, though, is that even though uh, his wife wants him to retire, uh, Tom Brady's going to play again in 2018, and it may not be his last year. Can I do a little uh, reading of the tea leaves here? Because I just heard you say a couple of seconds ago there's going to be a big meeting between, you know, Belichick and Kraft. Am I to interpret that you think there is more than just a little bit of smoke between Brady and Belichick? Or am I to interpret that you think Belichick would be quicker to leave than Brady? Uh, I think Belichick would be quicker to leave than Brady. That's just my gut feeling. Right. Uh, but I do also think, Tony, that the way Bill Belichick thinks, look, he's going to have a tremendous brain drain from the 2017 Patriots into 2018. Loses both coordinators, likely loses the special teams coach, and then the most valuable assistant coach on this team, other than a coordinator, Dante Scarnecchi, the offensive line coach, very likely to retire. So if you lose those four guys, Bill Belichick is going to have to go out and really, really mine the market if it's outside, uh, you, you know, to get guys who yeah. can come in and be patriots. So and, and they may promote guys from within, but there aren't a lot of logical guys on the offensive side of the ball who can be one with Tom Brady the way Josh McDaniels was. So you could, yeah, you could see movement here. You could see movement in the near term rather than the far term? Uh, I, I Again, Tony, I think that both men, Brady and Belichick, will return in 2018. Okay. That's what I think. Right. But as Bill Parcells famously said, they don't sell insurance for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Good stuff with uh, PTI and with Peter King. And he brought up a point that I, I thought about once and then it went out of my head, but he brings up a great point. All of his assistants are leaving. Right. And, uh, you know, if Bill Belichick and the Patriots win, what better time to walk away than now? And Fred, he was also, if you believe the stories, forced into moving right. his franchise quarterback of the future. Now, yeah. I know Brady is great and he wants to keep playing, but how else do you keep winning in the league without a quarterback? When Brady's done, what do the Patriots have? They moved Jimmy Garoppolo, right. and that would have been an obvious choice to take over for Tom Brady if he was still there. Sure, I understand why they did it, but if you're Belichick and you're looking around at the situation, all the assistants, you got to get new guys, right. coordinators, and then you your quarterback in waiting is gone. It's almost like a bare cupboard because they chose to put so much into Tom Brady, one player. And so... Peter King expects them both to be back. Uh, Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen on SportsCenter uh, NFL Countdown a little bit ago said they both expect both to return. But Diane Rossini from ESPN, who covers the Patriots and is also a studio host for ESPN, put this on Twitter about an hour ago. She said, NFL Countdown's brought to, into light what many in the league have been hearing which would be that this game could possibly be both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's final games. Both could be hanging it up. Post-game tonight could be incredible if that becomes truth. So, I mean, people are hearing this. Yeah. The main reporters, Shefty, Peter King, Moore, they're telling you they expect both to be back. 
But I think there is some context here going into tonight's game that this could be the last game for both Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Right. Could There's be. an outside shot. You know, we, we have all this stuff that we can talk about two weeks to lead up to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, we, we're finding all these new storylines. But I don't think I would be that shocked if they won and they both walked out or if they lost and that was like, well, this is it. That's the end of it. We're, we're kind of done here. I would also not be shocked if they both stayed. No, I wouldn't be shocked if they both stayed. But, you know, it's I think it's an interesting thing to throw out there because you, people that followed the NFL, when Bill Walsh and the 49ers won that one Super Bowl and he walked away and yeah. his son was then in there and Brent Musburger asked him the question and, and he started crying and tearing up. It was all over. And, and just the way that played out, how many times have you seen that video? Sure. I can just imagine how it would be. If Brady and the Patriots win, Brady and Belichick up there, maybe both holding part of the trophy and then at that point announcing it'd be cool. They wouldn't do it now, but it would be cool yeah, if they did. Right. They will just, you know, we'll take some time. We'll think it over. But, you know, I, I did think from the audio we played from Peter King, I think it's interesting that he could see Belichick walking before Brady. Yeah. And like that's that's the thing that kind of I've thought is odd the whole time is that. Robert Kraft and the Patriots have have put everything into Tom Brady. Right. And he's a player. Now, the greatest quarterback ever to live, but players come and go. Yep. Belichick has the ability to be a great coach for years to come. Brady's only going to be able to play for a few more years. At the most, right. At that elite level. Yeah. I know. He won the MVP last night. He's age 40. It's stuff we've never seen. Right. But he's not going to be 50 in the MVP in the NFL. You know, like, like at some point, he's going to have to be done. I'm just shocked that if there is a rift in all the stuff that was true in the ESPN report be- before, I'm just shocked that cooler heads didn't prevail and say, well, he's still just a player. Because yeah. doesn't it, Fred, it's the National Football League. It's the one league where almost all players are, are disposable. At some point, sure. your time comes, and then you're, you're gone. I mean, think about it. Brian Urlacher gets into the Hall of Fame yesterday. At some point with the Bears, the Bears were done, and they moved on. Yeah. And it was just like, sorry, you're just not as good anymore, and we're not going right. to pay you anymore. And they moved on. He was a, a great linebacker, Hall of Fame linebacker, the face of the franchise. But it's football. You move on. Well, and you know there were people, despite the fact that Brian Urlacher got into the Hall of Fame, and I'm looking here at his sack totals, yeah. and he had 41 and a half sacks, okay? He only had four of those in the last five years he played. Now, there were times where people were saying he's slowing down. He can't get sideline to sideline. And that's expected when you play that many years. You play 12, 13 years in the NFL. You're expected to slow down a little bit. He went eight sacks, six, four and a half, two and a half, five and a half, six, none in 06, and then five, none in 08, 09, um, four in 10, nothing in 11 or 12. So, I mean, it happens. You're right. It happens with all players. And Erlacher was playing a position that is a lot more physically demanding sure. than what Tom Brady plays, especially the Tom Brady who's not your scrambler. He'll get you the first down on a quarterback sneak here and there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to see if, in fact, they win today. Now, if they lost, there would be no way either one would step down, I would think, or leave. You want to do it one more time? You want to go out like a John Elway did and win back-to-back? You know, that, yeah, that'd you, be wonderful. you would like to go out a winner, and I'm. I think it would be more likely that Brady returns if they lost than Belichick. But I could see. You know, you watched the two Bills documentary the other night, the thirty for thirty uh-huh. from ESPN, and like Bill Belichick 
is so smart, but I think he's also like hyper aware of, of his standing and what he needs to be successful. And if you're, you know, Peter King's telling us that he has to go out and mind the, the field to find good assistants and coordinators. Yeah. Everyone wants to work for the Patriots, but everyone else has jobs. Yeah, they All do. the hot names have jobs. So he now really has to go out and find the replacements for really excellent coordinators because they all have had coaching jobs. Now. Yeah. It's so, I mean, do you want to, at that age, you want to put in the work to construct a new setup, a new organization for yourself to then feel comfortable. Like you can continue to win. I, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. I mean, and say, okay, Fred, what if, what if, uh, Nick Foles comes out and plays like he did in the playoffs so far, especially in the NFC championship game, been and tremendous. Say, say the Eagles are up 31 to three and the, the Patriots don't come back like they did last year on the Falcons. Say they just get blown out in this game. Then Belichick takes his headset off and just leaves mid fourth quarter. <laughs> he just leaves. He just, he just walks, walks off. off. He just lays his sweatshirt, <laughs> his cut up sweatshirt onto the turf and yeah. just walks out. He just walks away. Into says, the Forget cold. It. He hands it to Tom Brady. He says, here, you're the wizard. You figure it out. Like, like Jack in uh, The Shining. He just goes walking out into the cold and freezes in the Minnesota night. And yeah. just, that's the end of Belichick. It's very chilly there. All the reporters telling us how cold it is in Minnesota. And I did post earlier this week, nobody cares how cold it is in Minnesota except the Minnesotans. Nobody else cares. But you have to agree, as someone who has attended Super Bowls, it's very lame that the Super Bowl is in a city where it's not enjoyable to be there. But the people that went to the parties and all the other things, they enjoyed it, the heck out of it. Yeah, but okay, if you are a fan and you get the opportunity to go to a Super Bowl, you want it to be special. I'm not saying that this Super Bowl is not special, but warm climate, tropical atmosphere, it's all a part of It's like bowl games in college football are not as cool as the bowl games are in Pasadena. Now, see, you mentioned college football as we bring in our next guy. Perfect. Yeah, you talk college football with him all year. Just don't bring up the championship game. No, I won't. There is a there is a house near me that that flies the Georgia flag on a daily on, every day of the year. They I didn't fly know the your Georgia neighbors flag. Hood. Yeah, I'm not. But there is there is there is a, a person right down the street. <laughs> but we that's not why we bring in Jay Hood. We bring him in to talk about UIC winning again. Oh, yes. What is it? Eight of nine. Fire up flames. Unbelievable. All right, they beat Oakland the other night. That's right. That? Jay Hood joins us here on ESPN 1000. Our Super Bowl coverage. Jay, what's going on? Fred, Chris, how you guys doing? We're doing well. We're talking about not only the Super Bowl, but we're talking Brian Erlacher having each one of the hosts and Jay Hood here under the hood uh, Monday through Thursday. Sometimes uh, we do the show on Friday and it's still under the hood because Hood's all over the place. Um, but, but well, well I've, I've earned that, Fred. So. Well, I know, and it's in the contract. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the that. contract. I've tried to change it. It's in the it's in the contract. It's Jay Hood. On a Friday night, where he's kicked back and finally enjoying a night off. Uh, Jay Hood here on ESPN 1000. Unlike our other two guys that we've had on already, we already had Cap and uh, Carmen. Let's start with you about your memories and your favorite memories about Brian Urlacher, who goes into the first ballot of the Hall of Fame yesterday. There's so many uh, great memories. It starts with the Monday night game, though, of course, because it really put... Erlacher on the map. You think about the 25-plus tackles that he had in that game, how much of a uh, factor he was in the second half, Fred. That was the game in which the the Bears did not really play that well offensively, but the defense really helped 
uh, the Bears win that game against Arizona. So uh, with Danny Green going off, I think that that really put him on the map. I thought that in the Super Bowl, uh, when the Bears played the uh, the Colts, I thought that he had a good game there too. He had 10 tackles in that game. So um, think about this. We could be talking about Brian Urlacher, the outside line, linebacker, if it wasn't for Barry Minter's um, injury. Yeah. Because you, remember, Barry Minter was in the middle, and and I think they looked at Urlacher as an outside linebacker, maybe a Will or a Sam, but now he becomes one of the greatest middle linebackers we've ever seen, and, and history was made yesterday. Jonathan, last night you were on ESPN Radio uh, nationwide uh, after Urlacher was announced to be uh, making the Hall of Fame with other names, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens. What was the national reception to Urlacher getting in along with Ray Lewis? Well, I think that I know what I said. I said that I'm glad that that the Pro Football Hall of Fame is not baseball because if it's baseball, Urlacher would have to wait, yeah. or Randy Moss would have to wait. At least when the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you can have two uh, great linebackers. Uh, along with Dr. Doom, he was in there too because of uh, his days with the Oilers. So he's in there as well. You got one great general manager. You've got. Uh, two great wide receivers. You got an offensive lineman like Jerry Kramer. I just think that they they did it right. I mean, you you, you love that. I think that people look at Erlacher and say, you know, maybe he wasn't as great as Ray Lewis, but he was still great. And I don't. I think that that debate is over of who was better, Ray Lewis or Brian Erlacher, because guess what? They're going into the Hall of Fame together as two great players. Yeah, there's no doubt they are two amazing players. Great to see them both get in. And it's nice because I was mentioning to Chris earlier, uh, it's not like Ray Lewis and T.O. and Moss didn't have their, their list of you know detractors, but it's nice, mm-hmm. to, nice that they based everything about this Hall of Fame on what they did on the field, and that's another thing they don't do in baseball. Yeah, I, I I love the fact that that no matter what you thought of of Randy Moss and T.O., first of all, they're going to be divas because they're wide receivers anyway, right? Sure. But but they made plays. T.O. is one of the best receivers I've ever seen. Randy Moss is one of the the best deep threats I've ever seen. So it's well deserved that they both go in uh, in this Hall of Fame class. The same thing with Ray Lewis. I, I know that people simplistically want to look at, at at numbers based on how many rings. Okay, Ray Lewis had two Super Bowls and. Brian Urlacher went to one. But, I mean, when you look at the numbers for what they are, Urlacher and Ray Lewis were two different linebackers, and they both were effective at what they did. I've never seen safety speed on a linebacker like Brian Urlacher. That guy could have been a safety, but yep. he had safety speed. And when we talk, I talked to some of these former players, Ben Hartsock is one of them, a former tight end in the league. He said, you know, there's a lot of players in Fred that can go in a straight line, that can run a straight line fast. But sideline to sideline, no one was faster than Erlacher at that position, which right. made him so very unique. And unique players and special players in the Hall of Fame, and and, and that's why Erlacher's there. All right, Super Bowl 52 coming up later today, the Patriots and the Eagles. What's something you have your eye on for today's game? Chicken wings. Yes! <laughs> what flavor? Uh, barbecue. Or if it's <laughs> Stacey King, it's so, Sriracha. Sriracha! <laughs> <laughs> That's no. the only time he's going to be able to say that for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to be that hot friend no. on this team. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, Jameer no, Nelson, Sriracha. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm looking forward to to wings. I'm looking forward to nachos. I mean, those are some of the key elements for the game. Uh, but, I, you know, w- one of the themes I look at 
guys with this Super Bowl is is about experience. You can't beat experience, whether it's in the radio business, whether it is in in business overall, whether it's in finance, relationships. If you have experience, then you have a one-up, a leg up on the opposition. And I just think that the Patriots, because they have so many guys that have been there and done that, they won't be overwhelmed with the moment. And I think the Eagles will be. What do you have uh, for a final score prediction? Looking at 31-13 Patriots. 31-13 Patriots in this game. Um, I, I just think that Nick Foles is no Jeff Hostetler. You know, he, he's no Tom Brady uh, <laughs> getting in for Drew Bledsoe. He's, you know, there's so, so many examples of super subs that came in and had this miracle finish. It just won't happen. Um, I would have loved to see Carson Wentz in this spot. Uh, unfortunately, he's injured, but it's it's Nick Foles. And, and I want you to think about this, guys, and, I'm, and for, before you put your money down, mm-hmm. think about the Jacksonville Jaguars, how Blake Bortles played the game of his freaking life. Yeah. That's the best game we've ever seen Blake Bortles. That's the Blake Bortles I thought we were going to get when he came out of college. Fred, for three and a half quarters, he was, he was tremendous. Yep. And then when they get behind, they say, Blake, help us win the game. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it. I, I need six more possessions to try to get this done. And it just wasn't going to happen. And, and, and so the Patriots played poorly, could have lost that game. They had to come into the uh, Dow Loggins trick play bag to even win that game. Remember, they had, four, they had two trick plays in the fourth quarter that yeah. we hadn't seen from the Patriots before. Yeah. The Patriots don't do that. So I, I, I just think that the Patriots' worst game and the Jaguars' best game and still, the Patriots came on top. That's why the Eagles won't win. That's my formula. Jonathan, uh, Diana Rossini is saying that she's hearing that people think, I know this is a lot of later to this, but people think that this could possibly be the last game for Belichick and Brady together. Uh, what do you think of that, and do you think that if that is possible between these two? Chris, from everything that we've been reading, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, that very well could be. I, I think... The thing that's kind of weird for me is that if this was Belichick's last game as a head coach for a New, for a New England or if it's Brady's last game, from Belichick's standpoint, wouldn't you tell the Giants to keep that job open just in case? I mean, it seems like that's a, a seamless transition. If Belichick was going to leave the organization, he'd go right back to the Giants to try to prove something there. Unless he's just, just at 65 is just going to retire after this game, I don't know. But it seems, though, that it would be a storybook ending to see Belichick and Brady both walk off in the sunset. But then we read the Wickersham piece from ESPN.com, and Brady thinks he can play until he's 45. Yeah. And if, if he's got an offensive line like that and Gronkowski's still healthy, he can play until he's 45. So I, um, I, I, why do I have a feeling that that's, that's not true? Why do I have a feeling that they're going to try this again next year, whether they win or lose? Because uh, these two guys are driven, and they're tied together at the hip. So I, I don't know if necessarily believe that. Jay, we appreciate you jumping on. We know you're always busy on weekends. You'll be able to break it down uh, tomorrow, uh, 7 to 10, right here on ESPN 1000. You're on today, right? Uh, yes, but we don't have to promote that. Because yeah. you guys are on. <laughs> right. You're on at the same time we are. So Trying what? to help you out, my friend. No, yeah. I don't. No, I don't. Yeah, I'm on 11 to 12.30, but it's, it's not uh, in Chicago. So we're blacked out in Chicago. Can it be, uh, po- can it be uh, podcast? We can get your opinions later? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. I, how, about, how about that, Fred? First time you've been called uh, blackout. Take that back to the community. Hey, I still remember I still remember the time you came to my house for a wild card weekend. And you walked to the door, and you rang the bell, and you said, I said, hey, what's going on? And you said, 
people in the neighborhood are getting worried. There's a black there's a black man in my neighborhood. I, I still I still quoted quite often and then and then Lawrence Holmes came and you know there were more people. So it was it was nice to see. <laughs> Lawrence Holmes came and I was still the only one there. <laughs> How about Jay, that? Jay, we'll listen we'll listen it tomorrow night, seven to ten as you break down the Super Bowl. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your Super Bowl, guys. Uh, oh, it is man. Jay Hood right here on ESPN with Dallas. We come back. Oh. We're gonna talk some baseball quickly. A baseball hit, and anytime I'm here, I'm gonna talk some baseball. We'll talk about all those free agents that have signed. That shouldn't take too long. Right here on ESPN one thousand. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner along with Chris Black. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Brian Urlacher goes to the Hall of Fame. And we're going to talk baseball. We're going to take a little break from the pigskin for a couple of minutes. Talk about some baseball because uh, we're going to talk about all the free agents that have been signing the last couple of days. Well, no, not really. Just... Fred, you just got to shoehorn some baseball in Always. on a beautiful Super Bowl Sunday, Always. don't you? Always. Uh, all it's, right. It's snowing here all in right. our State Street studios, and we bring in from ESPN, Dan Zimborski. Dan, how are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. I uh, wanted to get you on. I saw, I've been reading a lot of your tweets throughout the last couple of days, and uh, they've been very, very fun uh, about J.D. Martinez, $200 million, incredibly stupid idea. Um, and I'm stopping there. There's so many different ones. Um, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now with free agency? Because there's a lot of people out there. You know, the C word comes up a lot. The collusion comes up a lot. Uh, but what do you see as what's going on with baseball and the free agents right now? Well, I'm predisposed to be suspicious of ownership since I grew up watching 80s baseball and there was collusion. Right. I'm not convinced it's happening at this point. I think you're seeing a lot of different factors going into why free agency is so slow. And we, we sit here on Super Bowl Sunday with most of the top free agents still unsigned. I think you have a, a combination of, of more analytics in front offices. You have the luxury tax threshold. And you have people looking forward to next year's free agent market, which, you know, you have Bryce Harper and maybe Machado and maybe Clayton Kershaw. And that's a much deeper group. And if you're going to spend a ridiculous amount of money, next year might be the better time to do it. Dan, uh, Fred and I have uh, debated this before about collusion. And the one thing that I keep pointing to is that if you look at the recent teams that have won championships in baseball, they were built on young talent in the farm system and not overspending. Houston Astros, Chicago Cubs, and even the Yankees, a team that always spends throughout history, they built through the farm system with young players. So I think that has to do more with why teams are not spending in free agency than maybe necessarily any collusion or anything else. I, I tend to agree with that. When you have a league where most teams are, are, are in general agreement about the value of players, because all the analytic guys they've been adding for the last decade, they all kind of come from the same uh, orbit uh, of, of generally agreeing on most values. There's not a lot of difference, I think, between how teams are evaluating J.D. Martinez from organization to organization. And when you have that, it's not really an auction atmosphere. Uh, so you can have teams agreeing without quote-unquote, agreeing with each other. Uh, so some, at some point, these guys have to get signed because there is a price where, where they will be signed. Uh, and kind of running out of time. We have about a week and a half. Right. 
Well, let me ask you a question because the one thing that I, you know, baseball fans or peripheral fans that are seeing this, they go, well, why aren't these guys getting offers? Let's put it out there. J.D. Martinez and Hosmer and Darvish, they've received offers, but they've just not accepted any of them, correct? Yeah, in collusion, uh, when you go back to the 80s, what was going on is they weren't even bidding on each other's free agents. They had a tacit agreement. They were browbeat by Peter Uberoff, not even to make bids for other teams' free agents, uh, which is what you were seeing back then. When you look at J.D. Martinez, when he's asking for $200 million, when you look at Eric Hosmer, who wants eight years and has turned down a seven-year deal most likely, uh, I, I think we're in a situation where the, the, the stupid money is harder to get at this point uh, because generally auctions in baseball, which is what free agency is, Generally, the, uh, the, the team that offers the worst contract for them will get the player. Uh, and I, I think that there's some hard decisions that some of these guys are going to have to make. If we look at the Chicago Cubs, I think they still need a starting number one pitcher that they need to sign this offseason. Uh, who do you think it's more likely, you Darvish or Jake Arrieta? I think if they were going to bring back Jake Arrieta, they probably would have got gotten it done already. I still see them as the favorite for you, Darvish, because it makes sense. They have the need, they have the money, and Darvish does have interest in coming to Chicago. Uh, now, he hasn't made that final decision. He's been threatening to make a final decision for a while. But the, the Cubs, they do need him. Uh, Jake Arrieta uh, wasn't, his, wasn't really at the Cy Young level last year that he was a few years ago, but he's also a picture they had last year gave him a lot of good innings who isn't there anymore, and you can't replace that with Tyler Chatwood or Drew Smiley. So... I, I do think that Darvish is probably going to end up in Chicago. Another couple minutes with Dan Zimborski from uh, ESPN. C- can you explain quickly uh, your projections, your zips? And from what I see, uh, the Cubs is the one you're coming out with tomorrow, right? Yep, I do a rundown of the team by team during the off season. It kind of you know creates conversations when you do it that way because. Uh, you, you know, one team at a time. If you just dump them all in one day, then people aren't talking about it all winter. Uh, I, I, I do think that the Cubs, they will have good projections. They're still projected to win the uh, NL Central. Uh, but, I mean, you're talking computer projections. There's a lot of uncertainty. If, if I had a time machine, I would do a lot better than the projections <laughs> actually turn out to be. Dan, uh, it, talking about the projections, though, with the Cubs, how far behind are they of the Dodgers, or are they neck and neck with them? I think they're that missing picture behind the Dodgers right now. Uh, you, you add in Darvish, I think they're right there with the Dodgers, right there with the Astros, and, and really now right there with the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees have made significant improvements for those since last summer, uh, but they do need that picture. Uh, losing Arietta in the rotation, it, it is a pretty big deal, and the, the rest of the division has improved as well. Uh, you you look at the at the Cardinals picking up Azuna. You look at the Brewers picking up Kane and and picking up Yelich. I I think the Cubs do need to answer that. Do you think? I mean, the Brewers have already done a couple things. Do you think they're still in on Darvish? Do you think they have enough money, or do you think they're going to have to go somewhere and look at like a Cobb or somebody else to get another starter because they're going to need another one? I, I think that they are in on Darvish. Uh, one of the nice benefits about rebuilding from within is that when it's time to make that big sign to put yourself over the top, you have the payroll flexibility to do that. If the season started today, even after the Kane signing, the Brewers would still have a payroll under $100 million. They could afford to spend $25 million uh, a year on a player. Uh, that would actually only bring them up towards just 
the pack if they added $25 million. Uh, last year's average was like $130 million. Uh, so, and I think that the Phillies are going to be in a similar boat in a few years because they're also kind of nearing the end of that rebuilding process, and they have so much payroll room to, to throw at free agents next year. Uh, I think the Brewers can handle Darvish, and that's why you also see the Twins going after Darvish. We know that the Chicago White Sox are in rebuilding mode, but what do you see for the Sox this upcoming season? Are they going to be improved on the field this year, or is it still one, two, three years away? I think it's still at the point where they're sorting through talent, seeing who will be part of the next good White Sox team. Uh, They've acquired, obviously, a, a pretty impressive haul of prospects, both from improved drafts, from Adam Eaton, from Chris Sale. I, I do think this is still kind of not not the early, early part of rebuild, but there's still a lot of just seeing what they have and what they can get. Uh, I think you'll, some of the remaining veterans will also start to be traded. Uh, it, it, it's definitely an interesting year for the White Sox. One last thing before we let you go, Dan. We really appreciate you jumping on. You look at what's going on with the owners and the players and you know Tony Clark talking about what the players want, not getting the offers in. Do you think eventually when this thing comes up, the CBA, and I know it's got another four years, but do you think eventually the owners would cut back on the time that they have? Like they cut down that six years to maybe a four-year deal, or do you think that's something that won't happen? Well, we had to see the players actually stick together and have leverage. Uh, you look at the last few collective bargaining agreements, the players didn't really get any kind of concessions. They, they focused on kind of those quality of life things, uh, like you know, seats on the bus, a right. chef in the clubhouse, uh, extra tickets for their family members. Uh, and that kind of thing is, I mean, it's nice to have, but it's kind of small potatoes. While the owners are, are getting their concessions for you know, luxury taxes, having more severe penalties and getting everything they want. Uh, the players are really going to have to kind of stick together and really fight if they want to try to get more of the pie. Because you look at baseball's increasing revenue sources, and it's mostly things that, that the players don't get anything from, uh, like Major League Baseball advanced media. Uh, so if they want something, they're going to have to fight for it. And it's not the same union that, that Marvin Miller headed up. I, I don't know if they have the unity. I don't know if Tony Clark's the right man to get the players there. Dan, we appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes and uh, interrupt all of our football talk. It was perfect timing. <laughs> Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Dan Zimborski from ESPN. He's their MLB analyst, and you can go and check him out online. He's got the uh, the Cubs as uh, his next um, Zips projections, and that'll come out tomorrow morning. So it's uh, he's only got two left. I think the Cubs are next, and it's difficult, Chris, talking baseball with all these guys not signing. And I wanted to make sure I got the point out there. These guys have been offered contracts. Yeah, they have. It's just not what they want. Right. J.D. Martinez wants his $200 million. Am I a bad person for not feeling bad at all or caring that they haven't been signed? Like, they'll get signed at some point. It's not like the season's going to start and Arietta's going to be sitting at home. Well, Jeff Passan, though, had an article a couple weeks ago um, that he's talked to a couple free agents who yeah. said their best deal might be to sit out the start of the season, and then when teams realize they need someone, then they'll be worth more money. Um Angel Pecan did that a few times, right? With I the Giants, so. didn't he sign? He came uh, with the Giants and, and signed like halfway through the season. Yeah. So it, here's, I guess, my question: Is not being such a baseball fan like you are, uh, why wouldn't you do that? Like the 162 is basically meaningless. So if you're a free agent, you know you want to play somewhere where the team has a has a chance to contend. 
why not wait out the first two months? Because there's less stress on your body. Yeah. There's less. If you're a pitcher, you're not, you know, I know at some point they have to ramp up for a regular season uh, shape on the arm, but why Why yeah. wouldn't you do it? Because the only thing is you might not be able to get that big of a deal. You might not okay. lengthwise. All right. You might be able to get money, but not lengthwise. And but are you going to get that if you sign now anyway? It seems like they're not going to get it. Yeah. Well, he wants, um, Hosmer wants an eight-year deal. He's yeah, got okay. two offers for seven years. And how old is he? He's 30. No, he's, I want to say he's 28. Okay, I think seven is probably the most you're going to get, buddy. Well, yeah, you know what? And it's for like $147 million. Yeah, Right like, now, he's got nothing. So, Yeah, I mean, the players are the only ones to blame because they're the ones that agreed to this. And I think it's been laid out by many people is that free agencies should just start sooner in baseball. So then when guys right. are 25, 26, 27, they're free agents, yeah. not waiting till they're 29 for their first contract and, exactly. and that's just the way it is i mean i agree completely i just don't feel bad for it. i okay yeah they're not on a team all right yeah i i there's no doubt about it that's I what's got to happen next time in the collective bargaining every agreement. season in major league baseball what was one of the biggest moves off season or during this season to get to a team to get to the championship it was the astros acquiring verlander when yeah. did that happen that was huge trade deadline. The trade deadline right okay yep did the no, rest of the season matter before that? They were really good, but like that's the piece that put them over the top. Yeah, last year it did. Last year it did. That's why you know, I the don't Cubs think... got her all this Chapman. Yep. Halfway through the season, it yeah, didn't I matter. I don't think the Cubs are, are. I don't think the Cubs are a better team than they were when the season ended last year. Not yet. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Completely. So they, they've got a lot of bullpen guys. Sure. We'll see what happens. We come back more on the NFL, more on Super Bowl Sunday. Also, we're going to have Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. He'll join us at 11 o'clock talking about Brian Urlacher going to the Hall of Fame and also the NFL Awards Night last night. We're going to talk to Yurko shortly. It's Chris yes. Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Hope you're enjoying the early mornings. Heck, people may have slept in. And we'll get to this a little bit later on in the show. But um, I've always thought it should be Super Bowl Saturday so that nobody had to take Monday off work. You could recover all day on Sunday. It's a fair point. Or you could do what most people do and just call off tomorrow. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of people will yeah. do. You'll be here bright yeah, and early with here. Cap. No, Fred, we don't work. No. <laughs> we talk about sports. That's yeah. not work. It, so I will not. be here, yes. You will be here bright and early. You'll be working with Cap, and he'll be working with Carmen and our next guest, our next host who's going to join us with his Super Bowl predictions. We bring in Yurko. Yurk, what's going on? Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing well. How about yourself? You getting all pumped up for Super Bowl? I am, but my first prediction is Tottenham comes back at Anfield and uh, wins this game three to two. <laughs> How did Liverpool score so quickly? They scored in like the first minute. Uh, it was kind of uh, just a through ball put through, and uh, Mo Salah got on the end of it, just uh, slotted it by uh, the great Hugo Lloris, and. Uh, no, it was just it was solid build-up play, and uh, the ball squeaked through, and there he was, just sitting there. Yeah, Salah. I think they followed sweep. Yeah, Salah in honor of uh, Adam Abdallah is uh, he's uh, he's the Egyptian hope as they go to the World Cup this year. Yes, uh, he most definitely is. Yeah, yes, there's no doubt about it. Before we get to your prediction, uh, Brian Urlacher goes in the Hall of Fame first ballot. Did it surprise you he went in first ballot? And your thoughts on Brian Urlacher getting in? Nice class, um, first of all. Uh, Terrell Owens gets in, which is what I was hoping for. Randy Moss, Ray Lewis, him, uh, Brian Urlacher, Dawkins, uh, Jerry Kramer, finally. Yeah. Because you can't 
you can't have enough Packer offensive linemen to the <laughs> all of them. I mean, that's just the truth. You just can't have enough in there. So thank you, Jerry Kramer gets in there. Robert Brazil unheralded uh, the second player from uh, that Jackson State team. Walter Payton was the first to get into the Hall of Fame. So good for those guys, one double-A school. Uh, no, everybody thought Erlacher should be in. Yeah, and the way he played the position and his ability to cover and play all three downs as a middle linebacker um, kind of changed things up a little bit from what they've been doing with middle linebackers. Usually the middle linebacker comes off, and then your more talented outside linebackers end up playing in coverage. So he was a three-down player. He had tremendous uh, ability to cover and to get deep and to take away that deep middle, which is, you know, make that throw more difficult, which is what he had to do. So, no, Erlacher deserved to be in. I'm glad he got in. I'm glad the... Uh, the, the people that vote on the Hall of Fame didn't decide, well, Roy Lewis needs his own special day. So it's a good class, solid class. I mean, that's the way, the way it should be. Yurko, when going back over Erlacher's career, is there one game or moment that sticks out in your mind? Well, the only game, obviously, is, is the one that sticks out. Tremendous defensive performance. They had. Uh, that's when you knew, hey, this defense is pretty special. Uh, Peter Tillman had to set the Hey, did you do day. something? We're having a hard time hearing you. Oh, no, there you I'm go. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Peanut Pina Tillman had a chance to go ahead and return a, a ball for a touchdown that day, as did Devin Hester, but Erlacher had 21 tackles. He had like 10 credited to him. Then after Greg Bosch looked at the film, or no, after Lovey looked at the film, he had 21. So <laughs> that's just the way it works when you get a, a second chance to take a look at the film. But it was a dominant performance. He also had a great game against Atlanta in his rookie season. Um, where he, Phil Daniels, I think, forced a fumble. Yep. And then Erlacher got on the end of it and just ran, ran forever. And you could see the speed that he had that made him special. That's a middle linebacker position. So, yeah, there were, you know, there were a couple games where he certainly looked like a dominant player. Also, remember the play that Tom Brady picked about. Yeah. The unathletic, <laughs> the very average looking Tom Brady um, kind of juked him out because that was when uh, all of a sudden you couldn't hit quarterbacks. So he wasn't going to hit him, and then the kid ended up gaining another eight, ten yards. So I always say smack him in the face and get a 15-yarder. At least don't think about it. <laughs> As you look to uh, the Super Bowl game, are there one or two things that are making you lean one way or another today? Yeah, I think the offensive and defensive lines, uh, the advantages line with Philadelphia. Now that's offset by Brady and by Belichick. So, you know, what's going to have more of a factor? And I think at the end of the day, the quality offensive and defensive line may win out this situation. So I like Philadelphia 27-21. Hey, Yurko, if you were going into a game and you knew that your starting quarterback was out and the backup was in, in a big spot, what were the feelings that you had going into the game? Did you feel like as a defender that you had to step it up more because you have a backup quarterback in the game? Well, here's what happens. The first game that happens, you're just like, okay, let's tighten everything up and let's pray to the heavens that uh, the kid can show up and at least play halfway decent. But that's not the situation here. The, the situation here is he's been in for a number of different games. Um, they've been some big games that he's had to win, and they've found ways to win those. Even if it wasn't him winning the game, it was against Minnesota, but it wasn't uh, when they beat Atlanta. So... Um, I think there's been enough time where he's been in there for guys to have confidence in him. But, yeah, I mean, it's the Super Bowl. So, you know, it doesn't even matter that Nick Foles is the quarterback. It doesn't matter. It's the Super Bowl. You want to make sure you play the best game you've ever played because they're going to come back and they're going to look at this. What do you remember about last year's Super Bowl? The Atlanta defense got tired. Yep. 
and, and, and the New England Patriots ran all over them and, and passed all over them, and they had their way with them in the second half. That's my one uh, one big thing, and the fact that Kyle Shanahan needed to call runs instead of throwing the ball, which he didn't do. So that, those are your takeaways. Well, you don't want those to be your takeaways. You don't want to be the takeaway after this game that all oh, Philadelphia's defense, you know, crapped the bed. You know, what do you think about Minnesota's defense? Minnesota's defense crapped the bed against Philadelphia. One of the best defenses in the league, and they were rotten in one of the biggest games of the year. So you don't want to go away having somebody say, hey, yeah, they were great all year, but then when it came to crunch time, they couldn't get it done. Eric, as we let you go, uh, we've been talking about people eating today, what they're going to eat. But my question for you, what's your beverage of the day? Well, water. I'm not drinking, so water's going to be mine. There you go. Love it. I go with lime and lemon, both. <laughs> lime and lemon. Yeah, but if I was drinking, it would be the uh, you know the usual, the swirl, the, <laughs> the Captain Morgan, and uh, and the uh, Coke. And okay. Be fantastic. With a shot of orange bitters. And a dash of uh, rhubarb bitters. How much captains goes in the, into that? Ten count in a forty ounce glass. <laughs> there you go. But Love you remember, it. you remember, it's got a baffler on it. Yeah, right. uh, the bottle of yes. uh, of, of Captain Morgan uh, private stock. Right. It's got one of the little bafflers on the top, which doesn't allow it to pour freely. Yeah, that works well. It works. Yeah, well. so that's the, that's why the ten count. You know, so, on a normal bottle, you do a ten count. That's half the damn bottle. We're right. not doing that. So, to, so, so tomorrow you'll be the the most sober person coming in. Uh, not saying Absolutely. The, not saying that Cap and Carmen and everybody else will be drinking, but you'll be I'll you'll be, be wide sober. awake. Yeah, I'll be sober as a judge. <laughs> Sounds those good. Guys will have a, hey, they'll have a lot of great stories from uh, being up at Wild's house. That hopefully we won't hear on Monday because we should be taking down the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I you got you. Tell me on Tuesday what the hell happened. Tell me on Tuesday. <laughs> I don't want to hear it the day after the Super Bowl. All right, that's all. Sounds good. Let's let's remember what's important. Football, you know, football. Football's Cappy, all important. Cappy embarrassing himself uh, and not being able to talk on the seven foot rim is not what we want to hear about. Right. All right. Yerk, enjoy the day. <laughs> I will, guys. You enjoy the game, too. And uh, there's tremendous soccer action all day. Yes. You know, the German Bundesliga leading up to the uh, the big game at 530. So You can't beat it. Let's get it done. Yeah. Let's get it done, guys. And That's I got right. a prediction for the national anthem. Go ahead. I got, a, I got a prediction for the national anthem. Two minutes, five seconds. Okay. Got you down. I'm ahead. I'm ahead. I don't know what the over-under is, but I got two. I think it's 201. I think it's, it I think it's 201. Go so. with the over, boys. Okay. Good kid's got some inside information. <laughs> That's if Pink is healthy enough because she's got flu. Yes. So if she's healthy enough to sing, to croon, it would be wonderful if she does. But I got 205. This is where you get the breakdown on Pink having the flu right here with Yerk. That's right. That's right. Yerk, right. thanks a lot. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, guys. Be safe. See Yerko. Part of uh, Carmen and Yurko from noon till 2 tomorrow. He does not want to hear stories about Waddle's house. He wants to talk game tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk uh, Brian Erlacher and uh, awards with Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. He'll join us. We come back. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner, all the way till 1230 on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Linebacker who played 13 seasons, 182 games. All with the Chicago Bears. And they need that guy, the Bears on defense. Brian Erlacher, first and goal, the ball at the four. Pass is intercepted by that guy, Brian Erlacher. He was the defensive player of the year in 2005. 
He was selected to eight Pro Bowls and named to the first team All Pro five times. And on the run, here's Smith, and it tipped away. Erlacher was downfield covering Ontario Smith and got a hand on it. He is all over the field today. He was named to the NFL's All-Decade Team of the 2000s Hall of Famer, Brian Erlacher. Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Ah, it's a Super Bowl Sunday. Snow coming down. Not that heavy. Here in our State Street studios, Chris Black, Fred Huebner with you. We've been taking the uh, predictions from all of our hosts. So far, three of the four we've talked to have Philadelphia winning. Only uh, Jay Hood has the Patriots. Yeah, Jonathan has the Patriots 31 to 13. Carmen went Eagles 24 to 21. Cap went Eagles uh, 360 to (laughs) 0. Uh, over the Patriots, that's not a realistic score cap. Um, no, it's not. Yurko says the Eagles twenty-seven twenty-one. So, yeah, Jonathan's the only one going with the Patriots, and I'm you know I'm torn because on paper it seems like the Eagles are the better team up and down the roster until you get to one position. Except that one position is the most important yeah, position in football, and it's the greatest quarterback ever to live playing that position for the other team. So I'm kind of torn at this moment. I, I kind of like uh, Tom Brady because if you ask Tom Brady who the best quarterback of all time is, he'll say Joe Montana. So that that's, <laughs> that's your fine. guy. Yeah, that's my guy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm a Steve Young guy. So there you go. Okay, I, I still remember. I used to have all kinds of arguments because Steve Young lost like two NFC Championship games by yeah. turning the ball over to the Cowboys. Yeah, like, yeah, really? Yeah. How's this guy? to be great. How, how can he replace Joe Montana? Yeah, well, he won an MVP in a Super Bowl, so yeah. we'll take that for I know. that's Those damn quarterbacks usually win the MVPs, ex- unless it's a Bears Super Bowl, um, <laughs> which would be nice. Eventually, that'll happen again, I think. And hopefully, when it happens, Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times will be covering it. Patrick joins us now from Minnesota. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. It, it looks like it's snowing more where you are than it is where we are, which would be a first uh, this week. Well, that, it, I think actually it's too chilly up there to snow. It, it's probably too cold. The flakes all just evaporate before they hit the ground up there. Yeah, it just turns into one abominable snowman uh, there to torture all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so last night, uh, a special night. I know they always have the awards night, but uh, Brian Erlacher getting into the Hall of Fame, despite the fact he had the Do Not Disturb sign on his door mistakenly. Uh, your thoughts on him getting in? Uh, most people thought, if Bears fans thought he should, but were you surprised that they decided to go two linebackers and two wide receivers? I was mildly surprised. You know, a couple weeks ago when I went down to the Senior Bowl, I started talking to other people, uh, people who vote uh, in the Hall of Fame, and I came away a little less convinced that Erlacher would be a uh, first-time Hall of Famer, and not because of any knock on his game, but just uh, because of the idea that maybe there would be five people they deemed more worthy right now. And, you know, when he made the final five yesterday, um, that's when it was clear to me that he was going to get in. Um, uh, because I think everybody I had talked to thought he was a Hall of Famer, uh, whether it was this year or in the future. And once you're down to a yes-no vote in the final five, uh, he was a slam dunk there. Uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was charming that he got nervous um, because he's somebody who didn't really want to talk about the Hall of Fame uh, in recent weeks. Didn't really give it much thought. Uh, you know, I think he figured that if he got his hopes up. He was just setting himself up for disappointment. And then, you know, at midday yesterday, he decided that he was going to be really nervous about the outcome here. 
And I think that shows you a human side of him that maybe we don't see every day. Yeah, pretty humble for one of the greatest uh, linebackers ever play the game. Uh, Patrick, if you go 20 years into the future and have to tell someone about Brian Urlacher's game who didn't watch him play, how would you describe his game? Um, he helped revolutionize the defense in, in the sense that that Tampa 2 only works because they have somebody as athletic as him covering down the middle of the field. You know, he was a safety who returned kicks at New Mexico. This is not a big hulking linebacker. This is somebody who was maybe one of the first great pass coverage linebackers. And I think we see the way the game has gone and the way the game is going. Uh, Being able to run with these big, fast tight ends and these big, fast wide receivers uh, is now a job qualification for middle linebacker. It didn't always, uh, it wasn't always that way. So that would be number one. Number two would be that he was the face of a franchise for more than a decade. Uh, you know, that is, on one hand is a little damning of the other uh, players, you know, on the Bears, particularly on offense. I mean, it, the quarterback is always the face on the franchi- of the franchise uh, unless you can't find a quarterback, which is what the case was. But, you know, he was able to take all of the arrows that came with being, um, you know, Mr. Chicago Bear for 12 years as a player. And I would argue to you right now that he's still the face of the Bears. You know, you go to Soldier Field, I see more Erlacher jerseys than I see Mitch Trubisky jerseys, than I see Akeem Hicks jerseys, than I see Tariq Cohen jerseys. Uh, I think he's still the person that people of this generation most closely identify uh, with the Bears. And that is a big deal, and I think that that is important uh, when you're considering the greatness of a player over time. Yeah, I was talking earlier, and you look at the other guys, and they all had... Uh, things in their history off the field or ways they acted on the field, which could have turned people off on them. Ray Lewis in a little thing in Atlanta. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then both wide receivers, uh, you know, they had, you know, attitude and things like that, but all wide receivers do. Erlacher seemed to be like one of the nicest guys you're ever going to see get into the Hall of Fame because he, you know, I mean, you look at it. Greg Olson says he made everyone feel special from the quarterback to the ticket guy. And I can't imagine that we've ever seen Brian Urlacher yell in anger at anyone unless it was maybe a player on the field or uh, not even a referee. Yeah, yeah. Peter Tillman told this uh, story yesterday about how uh, he was like the big brother you didn't want to piss off. And, and that there, <laughs> there were times on the field when he would make Brian mad and Brian would scream at him. And then Brian would come over on the sideline and put his arm around him and kind of say, sure. you know, I'm sorry, little buddy, I didn't mean it. Uh, and that, uh, that that motivated everybody on the defense. Yeah, it, it was funny to watch, you know, at the NFL Honors last night, once they introduced the Hall of Fame class, they then come and talk to the media, and they put all of the guys up on a dais, and we asked questions and all of that. And, and the entire class was there except for T.O., who, of course, couldn't be bothered to come and Bobby Besser. Uh, both of them are flying out today. Um, and Brian was probably the most quiet person up there. You know, he, you know, he answered a question or two, but then he just kind of sat and watched everybody else uh, get teary-eyed and get emotional. Um, you know, we talked to Brian after that, and, uh, and he was a little more open. But, but to your point, you know, Ray Lewis danced on the stage when they introduced him last night uh, as a Hall of Famer. That was never Brian's way. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, on a national scale, I think that probably hurt him. <laughs> you know, if you have a guy dancing and singing versus a guy who's just going to uh, keep his mouth shut and be quiet about it. But I think in Chicago, where we can appreciate 
a workmanlike attitude like that. I think that that endeared him to fans even more. What, what's one of the games or moments that you can look back on and be like, wow, that game, that moment, that's exactly why Brian Urlacher is so great? Uh, the Cardinals game in 2006. Uh, it's the Denny Green game, the Crownham game. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were who we thought they were. You know, you look back at that, and, and that was the game that I covered actually on the Cardinals side way back when in a, in a previous life. Um, there are a lot of takeaways from that game with Devin Hester returning the kick. Uh, in the final minutes, uh, to, you know, to more or less win the game. The Cardinals missed a field goal at the buzzer. Um, Matt Leinert, I think it was his first really good start back when we yeah, all thought was, that yeah. Matt Leinert were, yeah, Matt Leinert was supposed to be a thing. Remember that? Yeah, um, I remember. No, but yeah. Erlacher had 25 tackles and, um, and uh, was everywhere. And I remember driving home then, uh, you know, in 2006, picking up the phone and calling my brother and saying, I've never seen a linebacker play a game the way Brian Erlacher just played it. And, you know, that was before we knew that it would live on uh, kind of, you know, in everybody's, I mean, it's one of the more famous regular season games in modern NFL history. And it's not because of what Brian did or what Devin did, but it's because of what the Cardinals coach screamed afterwards. Um, but even in the moment, I knew that that was something that I'd, I might not ever see again. I'm looking here at, uh, everybody knows right now, Tom Brady, 40 years old, and he's the fifth player to win three MVP awards. And I'm looking here, the NFL MVP in Super Bowls um, have not won since 90, was it 99? There's not been a Super Bowl or an NFL MVP win their Super Bowl. Ryan lost last year, Cam Newton two years ago, Manning a couple times. So Tom Brady, of all the things he's done, do you think that he's going to be able to snap that streak? Yeah, but keep in mind they're wearing white uniforms, uh, and that white uniforms is the key to winning the Super Bowl. Right, right, right. According to a lot of people, I don't know. I think I think the Eagles are going to win the game, and I think the reason is that the way to get to Brady is you need to rush him with four defensive linemen. You know, don't blitz, don't bring extra guys. Just get to him with the linemen you have. And the Eagles don't have four good defensive linemen; they've got eight, so they can cycle them through. Uh, Chris Long was talking the other day about how it's almost like going to the bullpen in baseball is that it's not that the guys who are taking their place are any better or worse than they are. It's that they're different. They have different styles. And typically by the time an old lineman figures out, you know, what one guy does versus what his replacement does, uh, it's too late. So, uh, I mean, I think that that's the best way to get to him. Um, I think Gronkowski might be the greatest tight end who ever lived. Um, and getting Hold him back is no better, better than the coach. Oh no, you better uh, than the here, coach. Here you go, Finley. No, I just had to. I just had to throw that in. I, I don't necessarily. <laughs> I might have to go into witness protection uh, <laughs> if I answer that honestly. I, I think getting him back is obviously no small feat. But um, but yeah, Brady. Brady was the best player in the league this year, but he was also the one that stayed healthy. And you know, Carson Wentz. You know, if we would have taken this vote in Week Twelve, Carson Wentz would be the MVP running away. And um, and, I, and I think that that says something about uh, the offense that still surrounds Nick Foles. Even if Nick Foles is nothing special, uh, you know, uh, that, the combination of that defense and, and Nick's offense, I, I think, will keep them in the game and, and probably, you know, I, I think they're going to win. Okay, so uh, Nick Foles at quarterback, Doug Peterson, the head coach. What do you think the offensive game plan is for the Eagles to win the game? Uh, let the defense kick him butt and turn around and, uh, and <laughs> hand the ball off. Um, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of runs. Uh, you know, Alshon Jeffries is going to be uh, going to be matched up. And 
And, you know, you look at his numbers in the regular season, and they were okay. They were nothing special. I think it was 700 and something receiving yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, God, you know, that would be, you know, you know that's the equivalent of two Bears receivers this year. But, uh, but in the postseason, he's been really, really good. Uh, uh, Nick Foles has a perfect passer rating when he targets Alshon Jeffrey in the postseason. And if they can rely on him, a little bit, uh, but not throw too much. I think that that's the approach there. I, you know, the combination of Ajay and Garrett Blunt, I think, will help them bludgeon uh, the Patriots a little bit. I don't think they want to race the Patriots to 35. Here. I think they want to keep the game somewhere in the 24-21, you know, 23-20 range. Uh, and the, the best way to do, do that, I think, is going to be to take the air out of the ball a little bit. We forget, too, that Foles is athletic uh, for his age and for his size and that some of the RPO stuff that worked under Carson Wentz still works with him. So I would be shocked to see him uh, keep the ball a couple of times and see what he can do. You mentioned Alshon Jeffrey, and then you mentioned uh, Rob Gronkowski. Is there a chance that if Philadelphia wins, Zach Ertz is the guy that ends up being the key to this game? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, yeah, there's a good chance. Uh, you know, you could argue that Ertz was the best um tight end in football this year statistically. Um, you know, he might be the best one not named Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski, sure. you know, in general. Uh, yeah, and those are easy throws uh, for Nick to make. Uh, and you take a little bit of you take a little bit of a chance every time you throw outside uh, there. But if you can keep it in the middle, uh, that is uh, good news for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, they have offensive weapons. It's, you know, I think people were so quick to write them off uh, once Wentz got hurt, and I, and I understand that. And I, I know that people up here in Minnesota are so quick to dismiss them because they just beat their favorite team and, and kept the Vikings out of the Super Bowl. So they certainly aren't benefiting from any buzz up here, but I, I think that that's actually a good thing uh, going into this game. One of the more interesting things I heard this week was, you know, the Patriots have done this so often. that You know, they know that, you know, halftime's a half hour. So they have a game plan for how to deal with standing around for a half hour. They know that, do you know that warm-ups between, when you warm up before the game and kickoff, the warm-up period, or the gap between the warm-up period and kickoff is twice as long as it is during the regular season because they've got to sing the anthem and they've got to do all that. So they already know how to deal with this, and and the Eagles have been actually practicing halftime during practices. You know, they'll stand around for a half hour and and not do anything uh, and and then turn it back on. Little things like that, I think you forget that the Super Bowl is just its own beast. You know, you know the game starts at 5.30. I mean, that's something that nobody really gets to do all year. So if the Eagles can handle the little subtleties of that and not let it throw them out of whack, uh, that would be huge. Because I think Tom Brady has been to as many Super Bowls as the entire Eagles uh, roster has combined. So uh, that is a very big difference right there. Well, I actually heard that the uh, Bears under Trustman practiced that standing around, but they did it during the game. So... You know. During the game, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, or against the Packers when when the fumble came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patrick, appreciate it as always. I know you had a lot of work up there. Uh, hopefully you can sit back, enjoy the game, and then get some good stuff. We'll be following you in the Sun-Times. And yeah, today is always a great day, and, and thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Patrick. Patrick Finley up in at Minnesota as the Super Bowl uh, 530 start. And, and that's one of the things, Chris, that, that you know, I, can't. 
can't you just get the – I mean, the halftime this year is going to be Justin Timberlake, and people have asked him all week long. Yeah, JT. Are, are there going to be any surprises? Ooh, are there going to be any NSYNC, other people joining you? Uh, Janet Jackson going to be there? Is hey, a hologram of Prince going to be there? Yeah, and, and you know, he, he basically said it's just going to be him and his band, but I don't know that I necessarily believe him. So I had an in-depth conversation about this on uh, Drive Back from the Suburbs last night with my wife. Okay. And cause she, you know, Justin Timberlake loves – Loves JT. JT, so she'll be watching the no, halftime. Not that I don't, uh-huh. but like she dives into the analytics, like we are into the Patriots and the Eagles, okay. right? So I'm asking her the questions, and I'm like, "All right, so who's the first non JT person or band person that we're going to see? Who's the first famous person?" Because like to me, like every year for some reason, here comes Bruno Mars out of out yeah. of the the dressing room. Bruno Mars has to come dance around for five minutes, and uh, so we brought Jan Jackson. She thinks Janet Jackson will be involved in some some way, shape, or form. I think that that's kind of. I don't think that they have to do that. I know NSYNC is there. Oh, are they really? They're in Minneapolis. Uh oh. But as she pointed out, at the Grammys a few years back, they did their reunion thing. So it's kind of unnecessary to have NSYNC join JT because it's been done. Here's her um, outside thought. She thinks that maybe Beyonce might be involved because JT is good friends with Jay-Z and Beyonce. Right. And that Jay-Z is not really – he's done that, the suit and tie combo. Right. But Beyonce has never performed with JT in a setting like this, so she thinks that that might be it. And then I guess uh, the rumors of the hologram with Prince is uh, false. I guess Prince's family doesn't want that to happen. So I guess that that came out earlier today. They have the right to uh, to, to quash that. I, I mean, get, from what I read, from what I read online is that the production crew in Timberlake asked them what they thought and they were like that's not what he would have wanted okay but he was so good at that so So i asked her this question too what song does he start with because he has a new album that's dropping yeah he should not do that right he shouldn't start with a new song from an from an album so then i asked well what song from his past would justin start with Mm -hmm. we were like throwing around all all the uh obvious hits that timberlake has had over the years and then i said what if he starts with a Prince song? Could you see him starting with a Prince song as a tribute to Prince? They're in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and and then kicking it off that way. Either starting or having it be, I'm trying to figure out now, what would make, if he doesn't start with it, would second or last song well, be the best? Okay, so then the, the debate became, which would be the bigger crowd pop? Would it be halfway through uh-huh. after like a slower song at the end? Like, let's go crazy at the very end. Or would the bigger pop be lights are all out? Like, this is before we knew the hologram information might not be true. Sure. So I was saying, like, what if it's dark in the arena and just center stage was the hologram of Prince to start it? Yeah. And then Timberlake joined, you know, that whole thing. But if they're not going to do that, then that theory's out the window, obviously. Maybe he'll come out wearing purple. Yeah, maybe purple. Um Hopefully there's no uh, wardrobe malfunctions because I don't think we need uh, no. that nonsense. It's a, you know what's amazing is thinking back to when that happened. Isn't it amazing how like things that were shocking were like the thing to do and now nothing's shocking anymore? No, there's absolutely so, nothing shocking. I'm actually sitting here watching the tw- 2001 Super Bowl halftime show on, on YouTube. With uh, Timberlake? It was in sync. Aerosmith and Britney, Britney Spears. Spears and Nelly. Nelly was there too. Britney Spears was unbelievable back then. 
Yeah. Nice little outfit there she had on. Yeah, long and athletic. <laughs> yes. Great defense, too. Yeah, I, I mean, know. Unbelievable. And, and halftimes are usually right around yeah, Frank, the come on, Frank, nine that, minutes. I'm 32. That's the wheelhouse right there. Britney Spears 2001. That's Black Wheelhouse right there. That's yeah. it. Going outside. It's pretty amazing because if you go and you just search the uh, 2001 Super Bowl, and I knew that was the year, mm-hmm. and I was a big Aerosmith fan growing up and you know always have been. And, um, yeah, Britney Spears added quite a bit to it, I thought. So uh, the other thought that uh, my wife had was Lady Gaga last year just was by herself. Okay. So what if that's the new trend and Timberlake just does it by himself? Because, you know, be- before, previously, you know, Coldplay has this person, that person. Here's another yeah. person running out to the state. Beyonce, here's a whole bunch of different uh, dancing Bruno Mars. Right. Yeah. Like, everyone had all these collabs, but what if it's just Timberlake? I like that. The dancing Bruno well, Mars. I mean, it's like the dancing bear. Dancing. You pull him out of your pocket, and here's dancing Bruno Mars. Well, after he just won all the damn Grammys. Well, he's small, too. Yeah, he, he is small. He's a little small. guy. Let's grab a call before we take a break. Let's go Northside. Eddie, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Eddie, what's up? Hey, Eddie, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Um, am I on the air? Yes, you are. Eddie! Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, everybody's talking about how good the Eagles' defense is. If you're looking up and down their whole schedule throughout the years, their defense did the best against the crappiest teams in the league. Well, the Bears, I don't know what they beat them, 33-3. to When they came up with teams that had good offenses, you can see it was close within seven. They put up over 21 points a game on them. I think one of the keys, Eddie, we appreciate the call, is the defensive lines. And I was going to mention this to Patrick Finley, but I've, I, I think we mentioned it earlier today. And I think one of the problems that the Eagles are going to have is they're not going to be able to use those eight defensive linemen because the Patriots are not going to allow them to change defensive players by just going back to the line of scrimmage after each and every play. I think that's going to be, you know, a, kind of a hurry up. Uh, with them getting into the line, they can't make the defensive changes. You wear out the opposition. Um, I, I think that's a really something that you got to keep an eye on today. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can look at some of the teams they beat during the regular season and say, yeah, those offenses weren't that great. But what they did in the postseason was outstanding. Yeah. And and I always go to DVOA, and throughout the season, they were a top-five defensive unit the entire season. And, and that takes into consideration your opponent. And it takes into consideration strength of schedule and the offense you're going against. And they were one of the most efficient defensive units in all football the entire year. They finished the season second. They're second right now, and uh, they're really good. You also have to realize that they were in a division that had the Cowboys without Ezekiel Elliott for quite mm-hmm. a while and without Prescott. And then you had the Giants without any receivers, and you had Washington. So they got to play each of them twice. So, I mean, that all, that does help. I mean... For years and years, and I bring this up all the time, for years and years people would say, well, look, the Bears don't beat anybody. Hey, when they were in a division, when there were five teams in the division, and they beat bad Packer, Lion, Vikings, and Buccaneers teams, there's nothing you can do. You play who's on the schedule. right? So the Eagles got the benefit of playing in the NFC East this year. Next year, maybe not so much. Not so easy, maybe, next year. Uh, we're doing this again. Uh, what? Philadelphia officials have taken the streets oh, yeah, this morning in an attempt... To thwart pole climbers ahead of the Super Bowl by putting Crisco. But they're adding something to it because uh, it didn't ooh. really work last week. Oh, I, no. I had heard they're adding like some kind of oil, Clicking like a story. motor oil Let's type see. thing. Let's see. Uh, oh, I don't need the pop up ad. Thank you. The Move motor along. oil will help all the fires that are yeah, burning. Yeah, that'll be great. The city. Yeah, <laughs> a certain, the city just burns down. Wow. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, I got to tell you, there's, there's yeah, really... They, it just says just the Crisco. Okay. There's really not a fan base that I dislike almost probably as much as Philadelphia from some of the things I've heard about them. I've not experienced it. Uh, but just some of the things that they've done. I, I've never been a fan of throwing stuff or swearing or doing other things that fans who wear other jerseys. Yeah. And uh, they, they do that quite often, I, I see. So. As someone who has uh, sat at Soldier Field for the majority of my life watching Bears games, I've never had a problem with Eagle fans. It's usually Raiders fans, Cowboy fans, and then when the Vikings are good, Vikings fans mix it up a little, but yeah. I've never had a problem with the Eagles. Yeah, well, the, the Bear, let's the see Ra- what happens Raider today. Raider fans are the worst. Yeah. And the Cowboys. Cowboys are terrible. <laughs> we ca- Hey, listen, Sylvie is going to join us around 1145 with his Perfect. Super Bowl pick. Also, Tom Waddle uh, at around 1210. We come back, more Super Bowl talk. You want to jump on in, talk about the Super Bowl, talk about Brian Erlacher getting to the Hall of Fame, your favorite memories of Erlacher as he was a player. We've heard a lot of them from our host today, and we'll hear some of yours. 312-332-3776, right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner, Chris Black with you for another hour. We'll be here till 1230 talking Super Bowl 52. We still got to get predictions from uh, the afternoon hosts, Sylvie and Awada. We'll do that before we are done here. We'll also get our predictions. Not that anybody cares about our predictions. Well, Fred, before noon, uh, my buddy who uh, teaches out in uh, L.A., Uh he's a music teacher. His name is uh, Brian O'Connor. He goes by Brocon. He's been on with Abdallah and I before. Sure. One of our good friends. He just moved to L.A. He texted me like four paragraphs of information. He's great at figuring out the over-under for the anthem. Okay. And Pink. And he's been doing the research. He's and been we have breaking right down number. the film. We have the right number for the over-under on the Yeah, on so too. right currently it's uh, 204 on on the over-under. So I'll give, before noon, I'll give you his breakdown. He's He's gotten deep into the film, breaking down previous appearances by Pink when she's uh, sure. sung before. I saw something about Flair that he's talking about, so we'll we'll get into that later. Rick Flair, or just I, I think he means like showboating. <laughs> okay, because you know she's sick, so that yeah. could, that could be an angle if you're trying to gamble on the national anthem. Anybody today. that's listened to me or read my tweets over the last couple of years, there's nothing I despise more than Flair during the anthem. <laughs> You just sing the darn song. Give me, give me the song. Yeah. And you don't have to point oh, at the flag. Know. We know right, where the yes. flag no is. No pointing. Do not point at that we flag. Know, There's the flag. We know where the flag yeah. is. Yeah. But anyway, right. I know the Carolina Panthers, not Carolina Panthers, the uh, National Predators, they didn't point at the flag last year in the Hawks uh, playoff games. Can I give you my take on that? I think the Predators took the soul and the heart from the Chicago Blackhawks because what the team ever since then what, oh, what has happened? Oh, they've been brutal. They've been so bad. They re, they really have been. And, they you removed know, their championship soul right from the team yeah. in that first round series. I think that they and, and then the, the organization panicked. This is going to be way more hawk talking oh, no, with we, we did. No, just I think the organization <laughs> panicked by moving Panarin for Saad. Saad has been awful. Yeah, and I will say awful. And then there was an article. Mark Potash wrote an article in yesterday's paper talking about how uh, Quenville says, "Listen, he's got to get to the front of the net. He's got to do this, got to do that." Well, you know what Panarin did last year? All he did was score, yeah. and now he leads the Columbus Blue Jackets in scoring. Duncan anyway. Chase, come on, Fred, you know how to yeah. do it. Yeah, and and Duncan Keith should retire. 
He's he's every time they make every time they lose, it's Duncan Keith making a mistake or a turnover. And and I've heard the guys, I've heard it. The they do a really good job on NBC Sports Chicago yeah. of uh, men- breaking down the game. And numerous times you'll just hear they don't want to call out Duncan Keith for playing poorly. Mm-hmm. They'll just, but they will say. Well, Keith gave a buck up there. Keith did this, and Keith, yeah, he hasn't done anything good most of the year. Listen, I'm not a hockey bro. No more, but, um, no hockey callers, by the what way. What I know in the off season, the the main storyline I read about was that the back line was not good. They needed to upgrade the back yeah. line. It seemed like nothing was really done in the off season. Still and then, not good. Yes, yeah, still yeah. not good. So yeah. that, that's our hockey analysis. Back to football. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, we have a guy here in Chicago who is now going to the Hall of Fame, and that is Brian Erlacher, good old number 54, as he went in first ballot yesterday along with um, Ray Lewis, Terrell Owens. Also, you had Randy Moss, uh, Robert Brazil. I'm missing Brian Dawkins, Bobby Bethard, and uh, there's one other guy, and I can't re- I can't believe I missed him. One other guy, and it was Kramer? Oh, Jerry Kramer. Yeah. He opened the hole uh, for, you know, in the ice bowl way back when. And uh, I remember watching. That's even, no, your, your dad might remember <laughs> watching, but yeah, you don't remember watching. It was a long, long time ago, and he finally gets into the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Brian Erlacher gets in, and he talked last night about what it means to make it to the Hall of Fame. That number is so small for as many people as played play football. Um, shows you how rare it is to make it to the Hall of Fame. You know, there's a ton of, and obviously everyone there is the, one of the best at their position in the history of the game. Um, now I'm part of them. It's, it's awesome. He also said, and we don't have this on any of the cuts, but he also said something about it was great to, you know, going to school for free. I yeah, mean, yeah, playing joked, football. Like, like yeah. in high school, he was just happy that he was going to get a scholarship to play yeah. in college. I mean, I mean it, it's it just such a huge thing. His upbringing, how humble he is, and uh, how, you know, some of these guys, like Randy Moss, was a two star elite athlete who probably could have played in the NBA if he sure. wanted to. Sure. But he wanted to play football instead. And, you know, there's the, the, the Randy uh, U uh, documentary, the 30 for 30, like chronicling his upbringing and coming through high school. It was difficult and for him, yeah. It was tough. But, like, Randy Moss, outstanding. The moment he stepped on the field, you knew how great he was. Ray Lewis, loud. You knew how great he was when he was at the U. Brian Erlacher was unassuming. Yeah, playing for a small college football team in 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 college, and and not someone you would have on the national level, and that's what's a part of, and that's what Patrick Finley told us too is that that's part of what made him so cool as being a bear. So like we want hardworking blue collar type guys, and that's what Erlacher is. Well, and Erlacher did thank one of the Bears ex scouts, Mark Hatley, for what happened to him. I can't say enough on Mark Hatley. He's taking it, he left it right after they drafted me in two thousand. Mark went to Green Bay of all places. I think in two thousand one or two thousand two, but still kept in contact with him. You know, if he doesn't draft me, and you know, because I know it was between me and Plexico where they wanted to draft him or myself. And uh, a couple of people wanted Plex, and he wanted me. Thank goodness, and they stuck with me. So. Um, Appreciate that, obviously, staying there and, and taking a chance on me. Plexico Burris would not have been the wide receiver he was when he was in the NFL if he would have came to the Bears. Well, yeah, because we never have a quarterback. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's where wide receivers go to die uh-huh. because we don't have anyone back there who can hurl the ball. I mean, yeah. Now, hopefully, they do in Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, but we uh, hope. Yeah, it was, it was the good pick from uh, Mark Hatley. Uh, Erlacher talking about it. When you think about Erlacher, you think about Lovey Smith. You think about that Bears defense with Tillman and Brown and all these other guys. And Erlacher talked about how he flourished under Lovey. So, Greg Walsh had a great defense as well. My first DC when I was there. Different things. You know, we, we were attacking. We're downhill, 
and I blitzed a lot more. When Levy got there, it was more of a cover. Everyone knows the cover two, but it wasn't cover two. We didn't play run down the middle every play cover two. We played attacking, aggressive, pass defense, and we rushed the passer. So he just let me be more, um, do, do things more in my athletic ability and be more around the line, line of scrimmage, more picks, more, more in passing play. So he, he developed me. And the thing I appreciate about him and his staff is the attention to detail I learned. But once they got there, like what I was supposed to do every single play, there was no question before the ball snapped what I was supposed to do. And when the ball snapped, it was even more clear what I was supposed to do. So it made it easy for me to play fast. You know, as he's talking here, I'm, I'm thinking the 4 3 is so, was so much, it was such a perfect defense for the Bears. They have the four guys rushing, and you had him in the middle because he could cover the whole thing. Now they're running a 3 4. They've had nothing but problems. And I'm not saying that's the reason. I know injuries have been a problem, but he, just imagine if the Bears were playing a 3 4. How would he have been? He would have been a great inside linebacker, but the position was for him because he covered so much territory, so much area like we talked about, him going back. And when you watch highlights of him, you'll see him 30 yards back making interceptions or tipping a ball away from a tight end because he's able to follow him, something that's not done that well in a lot of NFL games right now. Well, Fred, I wonder if if I go back to what I was saying earlier with comparisons, what if if the Bears had a 3-4, you know, the whole idea is that you are disguising which four guys are actually rushing right. and which who's in coverage. So, so you know, if you're looking at it, yeah, you have an extra linebacker on the field, but usually one of those linebackers are still rushing, and then it kind of turns into a 4-3 defense sure. or whatever. So if you're comparing guys, if Erlacher's in the 3-4 playing defense, I wonder if that's kind of the same of how, like, the Seahawks use Cam Chancellor where he's a safety hybrid linebacker where he's in the box, but he's dropping back into coverage, but he can hit you over the middle or he can rush the passer as well. I mean, because Cam Chancellor is really the same type of build as Erlacher, but a little bit faster and quicker. So he plays safety opposed to being a linebacker. But Erlacher, if he played in the NFL today as a rookie, I wonder if he would be a 3-4 safety who just helps in the box or... He would be middle linebacker still and just someone who's always dropping back in coverage. Yeah, I think the guys that, uh, you know, what the Bears have now, Danny Trevathan's a guy mm-hmm. who plays that because he'll rush the quarterback. He'll end up having to drop back in coverage, but he's nowhere right. near the size of Brian Erlacher. Yeah, and, then, you, know, you know, you also kind of point to the fact that we even sound a little outdated by just saying 3-4-4-3 because most teams are playing a dime-nickel sub-package for the majority of the game of the anyway time, yeah. because the slot-wide receiver is such an integral role into the offensive game plan now. So, you know, okay, fine. If the Bears were playing now with Erlacher in his prime, I think then you just have two linebackers on the field and you only go with two linebackers because you know that you need the extra cornerback in the slot and then Erlacher's covering the rest of the turf. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's someone who, as football progresses... I think over time we will look back on his game and marvel at how good he was. So far, three of our four hosts that we've had on have uh, picked the Philadelphia Eagles to win today. We come back. Uh, Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie will join us. Tommy Waddle joins us next half hour. Right here, it's Chris Black, Fred Hubner till 1230 on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Huebner. The snow's coming down here on our State Street studio. Actually, outside, not on our studio, which is a good thing. 
as we are talking about not only Super Bowl 52, the Patriots and the Eagles, but also Brian Erlacher getting into the Hall of Fame. So far, we've talked to a bunch of our hosts, Cap, Carm, Jay Hood, Yurko, and three of the four picked Philadelphia. Jay Hood, the only one picking New England. As we continue, now we get to the afternoon show. Waddle and Sylvie will talk to Tommy next half hour. We bring in Mark Silverman. Hello, Sylvie. What's up? Hey, Freddie. How are you, Chris? What's up, Sylvie? How are you? Everything's good. Happy Super Bowl. Yeah, great day, right? Awesome day. Yeah, going to be great. Let me ask you a question before we get to the Super Bowl. I mean, you guys, you're you're behind it. You're the bus driver, or you're at least going to hire the bus driver. To, or Jim Pastor's going to hire the bus driver to get everybody. Right. Yeah, that's more like it. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've actually already saw that the single, the single uh, passes for the Hall of Fame induction are already sold out already. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I can't wait. I don't know how we're going to get in or what we're going to do. But, look, we the last time we took a bus to Ohio, the result was pretty good. It was Cubs and Indians for the World Series. We had uh, some of the most fun we've ever had together as a group. And, you know, maybe we could do it with Windy City Limo or one of the companies. And, sure. you know, we could get the big coach bus and we could include some of the listeners and everything like that. And, and you know, Freddie, you mentioned about Erlacher. You know, I covered him. Uh, I was on the beat. We talk about it all the time when I was on the Bears beat. I was on the Bears beat when they drafted him in 2000 and leading up to the Combine. I was hosting a weekend show at that time with Skip Bayless, out of all people. And I do believe we were the first ever to put Erlacher on a Chicago radio show well before he was drafted by the Bears. The debate was, should the Bears go Plexico? Should the Bears go Erlacher? And uh, they ended up with Erlacher, and uh, the rest is history. It was awesome. Sylvie, if you look back over uh, the course of Erlacher's career, what are a couple of the moments that stand out in your mind? You know, uh, the oh, you know, as many people, Chris, is, is talk about the oh six season yeah. when they went to the Super Bowl and the Arizona Cardinals game, which was one of the most miraculous uh, Bears game in history. I had a front row seat for the oh one season, mm-hmm. and like I loved that team. Like that team to me for that one year, they weren't able to carry it over with Dick Duran and quarterback issues, like many Bears teams, was the problem. But that was a fun defense. It was. Erlacher in the middle, uh, Warwick Holdman and Roosevelt Colvin, who uh, Colvin ended up winning two Super Bowls with the Patriots and Ted Washington, Keith Trailer up front, Philip Daniels, Mike Brown in his prime uh, as a safety, Tony Parrish back there. Like I loved those teams, and Erlacher was the leader of that team. And you know, we were we just marveled. It was his second year, the way he would run from sideline to sideline, like unlike a linebacker we'd ever seen. just it, it was like every game we would just be like, oh, my God, he just did that. And it was like, it's sort of like, here's a good comparison, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's like when Derek was young yeah. and when the Bulls just drafted Derek and he was playing the point guard position like we've never seen before. That, to me, is the way Brian Erlacher was playing the middle. Yeah, and you guys had a chance to work quite a bit with him as he joined you and Waddle. And just an unassuming guy, a guy that had fun with uh, with the fans, a guy that had fun with you guys, and a guy that you shared a sweater with, right? Yeah, the, the, I, I forgot about that. How yeah. about that, Freddie? Um, yeah, for the, it was like a bet, I think, that we lost when we were picking games. Yeah. 
and like the two losers had to wear the sweater for two, <laughs> and um, and yeah, so I for one whole segment it had two sleeves. And, like, my left arm was going, or his left arm through one, and my right arm through the other. So, look, he's, he, you've heard the stories. And I think during this weekend, you know, he had his moments where he, you know, in front of the cameras, he wasn't, quote, as media-friendly or yeah. as fan-friendly as people would like. But if you knew him and if you got him away from all that, he's one of the most down-to-earth superstars you've ever met. Yeah, and you know, the the other thing that I kept thinking about is not only um, unassuming and down-to-earth, but like he was so embraced by the city because really, if you look through the history of Chicago sports, he was the big-name star after the Jordan era. He, he was the guy that took the torch and was nationally known because he was Rookie of the Year and he was a Bears linebacker. He just lived up to all the right. expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good point, and you know, you, you both know this, that Anytime you play middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears yep. and you're awesome, you know, that's like, that's your ticket to stardom. And, you know, there were the times when from like 2000 all the way through like 2010, 2011, and, uh, where you would go to Soldier Field and like really the only jersey you would see is Erlacher. And then, you know, yeah, maybe you'd see some Hesters and then some Cutlers and maybe some Briggs and, and Peanut, but, for the most part, even still, I bet. I bet if you went to a Bears game this upcoming year, yeah. the most dominant jersey you still will probably see is number 54. Yeah, when you go to Bourbon A, you'll see the same thing. And 54 always dominates for all the fans that come on out to Bourbon A. Uh, what's your selection for today? The uh, Patriots, the Eagles, Super Bowl 52 getting underway around 530. Who do you like? You know, I, I, I uh, for most of the week, I've gone with the Patriots. I'm starting to like feel that Eagles thing, and we had a prop bet I was talking about on Friday where we put some prop bets down on some Eagles players to win the MVP. I think the Eagles are going to keep it really close. They're going to have a chance to win, but I'm sticking with my original prediction that I've had since the game basically was was named two weeks ago when they both advanced. I'm going to take the Patriots 23, Eagles 20. It's going to be really close, just like every Patriots Super Bowl. And, and the Eagles should have a chance to win, but uh, I, I like Brady to pull out uh, another ring, number six. Sylvia, is there a, a specific matchup you're looking to watch the, throughout the game that you think will uh, turn the tide? You know, uh, I, I just, what I love, Chris, is in, in a lot of these games, going back to the Super Bowl last year with the Falcons, and then with Jacksonville last week with, with uh, New England, is their adjustments they make. That's what I love. I love the chess game that Bill Belichick always wins. And, like, the Eagles may have them early, and, and I think we've talked about this a lot this week, is the, the Patriots haven't scored a point in the first quarter in every one of their Super Bowl appearances right. with Belichick and Brady, which is incredible. But yet they always find a way to counter and make the adjustments that we always talk about. So that's something I'm looking for. I want to see if Nick Foles can continue to play well, and uh, I'm hoping for LeGarrette Blunt to win the MVP. Because we got him at 50-1. to There you go. There you go. There's a good reason. (laughs) Sylvie, however the game turns out, we know we'll be listening to you guys tomorrow from uh, 2 until 6, breaking it down. Thanks a lot for jumping on in. Have a good one. 
You got it. Black shot or no shot uh, yeah. for Legarrette Blunt to win the to win the MVP. Oh, I think there's a definite shot because if the Eagles win, they're going to yeah. have to run the ball well, which you would think that Blunt's going to get touchdowns around the goal. I that could be a shot. I agree. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd All be right. nice. We'll see you see later. Boys. Boys. Take it easy, Sylvie. Mark Silverman, along with Tommy Waddle, hosting here two until six. We'll talk to Waddle next half hour. We'll get our predictions before we're out here at 1230. Chris Black, Fred Huebner, all the way to the bottom of the hour on ESPN 1000. This is game day. Robert Kraft, along with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, have their eighth conference championship together. The Eagles are headed for the Super Bowl and a rematch with the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52. Super Bowl 52 approaching, I would say quickly approaching, but I, I don't know about you, we had, a, we had a question that Murph had in one of our polls yesterday, sure. nine, 9 to noon on Saturday. I, if you're going to watch some of the game, uh, none of the game, okay. I don't think none of the game was in there. Um all of the game, 60 minutes, or all the pregame, you know, some of the pregame, the game, and right, the postgame. Right. And I'm one of those guys that I turn the game on, I'll have it on, but I won't watch it until the kickoff. Or okay. maybe, the, maybe the anthem. So I'll watch no, no pregame, and as soon as the game's over and the confetti starts falling, mm-hmm. I look for something else to watch hmm. immediately. I don't want to watch the postgame interviews. Now, maybe today... If with the outside possibility, and I do mean outside possibility, that if the Patriots win, they both retire. What a great story that would be. Yeah. I mean, talk about how much fun that would be to talk about tomorrow. So that's one storyline. The other one is uh, if the Eagles win, uh, this will be the last day that Philadelphia exists as a city because those burn that town down. Yeah. Wow. Could you no. imagine if the Eagles win today? I know. I know. You, you hide, hide the women and children. I mean, uh, there's no doubt about it. Fred, to answer the uh, question, I'm a sponge. I love all of it. I like the big stage. So I like seeing the field before the game. I like seeing all the shows show, live. Yeah. From there. You know, Shefty and Mort were sitting on the field, you know, an hour ago. We were watching it here in the studio. I like seeing afterwards. I like watching when championships end. Yeah. I like watching all the content. You know why? Because there was nothing on yesterday but NBA. So today I'm going to live it up with some football. And then, you know, we go back to our our normal lives after tomorrow. And I like to have those images in my head, too. You know, when you think back to champions, I I like remembering the way it looked when the Patriots came back last year and people were just so floored that they came back from the Falcons and, you know, all the different things, you know, and you go back to come on, you know, when, when the Bears won in 85, the images of the coaches being lifted up and, and carried and what off the happened field. in New Orleans. I mean, those are great memories. Yeah, well, once once they carried Buddy Ryan off, I switched you channels. Turned it off, yeah. I switched channels. Yeah, I was you, looking for something else. Yeah, well, what what other options were there in Chicago that night on TV? I don't know. We should find out. You got like four channels yeah. back in the day, and I'm sure all the news coverage is wall-to-wall, Bears winning the Super Bowl coverage. What else was on that evening? Well, Eric, Eric, if you can find out, I don't even know if it's possible. <laughs> you uh, probably can. Well, they always run a team, like This Is Us is running, I think, after the Super Bowl, right? Isn't it? Something, right? Yeah. And Fallon, does Fallon, is it on NBC this year? Yeah, it is. So Fallon, Fallon's does he have a live show? Sh- yeah, I know I he's he there. Because I was suggesting that maybe he'll uh, join 
the uh, yeah, and then won't that JT. be the greatest? Yeah, if he, we well, he said that. no. He said no. He Good. said he said he's not Let's worthy. That way. Basically, he said he's not worthy of being on. But I'd like to know what was on that the network the Bears were on. That was NBC, right? Because it was Enberg and uh, Merlin Olson. Yeah. So whatever was what the first show that was on right after that Super Bowl, because I don't think and I don't think NBC Chicago was able to take over programming and get rid because they spent a lot of money on advertising and for that show that first show to be on after the Super Bowl, right? Um, so I'll be in, I, if we can find that out, that'd be great. I just like to know what it is and see if that show's still around. I doubt it. That'd be the hell. Of a okay. Long time. Do you uh, do ago. you want the anthem yeah, info now? I do. I do want the okay. anthem info. So my buddy who lives in Los Angeles, he's a music teacher. So that's where he has his background on music is he is a music teacher. This is what he does with his life. His name's Brian O'Connor. He's joined Abdallah and I in the past at Bro Connor on Twitter. So he breaks down the anthem every single year. Right now, the over-under is at 204 for Pink. And this is, he has three factors to consider. One factor is she's sick. Two, will there be a backing track? That's music that okay. plays behind. And three, will she add in any flair? Okay. Now, when you start, do you start the the clock with her first word? Okay. So, um, I think you do. Sportsbook.com sets the guidelines. I can get that for you. Exactly what they say. Okay. Because you can't stop when the music starts. Because then would almost always okay from the first note to the last note. So her first note to the last note. Okay. Okay. That's what it should be. Yeah. So uh, Brian answers. Number one, uh, is she sick? His answer, yes, she seems sick. She skipped a few songs yesterday in her Super Bowl performance because she didn't have the voice. To me, this means she will want to keep her performance measured and clean. No extra singing, which could lead to the under. But she might be using a pre-recorded track, which would lead to the over because she's sick. Okay. Okay, so number two, is there going to be backing music? He said that, in the past, it's gone back and forth. So last year was uh, Idina Menzel from uh, Frozen, right? Right. She did it last year. She had nothing behind her. She went with her voice. Solid pro, right? She hit 204 right on the money. Kelly Clarkson the year before was at 134, and she only had a snare drum behind her carrying the beat. 134? Yeah, fast. Okay. Jennifer Hudson went 210, but she had a full backing track behind her, and it seems like, in his opinion, that this will be a lot like that because of the sickness. So number three, uh, will she add in any flair? And he says, normally, Pink would. She loves flair. I found a bunch of recordings where she really hams it up. But I think the flu will rule all. She'll take her time to be measured. She doesn't want to miss notes. We will have a backing track. Boom. Go with the over. Okay. There you go. So that's from my buddy who's a music teacher. He studies this stuff. He loves football, too. But his expertise is music, and he says go the over on the 204 for Pink today. You always see, you also see Pink like up on a trapeze sometimes. I yeah, don't think hope, she'll do it on the trapeze, hopefully right? Hopefully she's not suspended from an American <laughs> flag while a bald eagle flies in with a microphone for her. Hopefully she's just standing there and just gives us the anthem. The last time I saw one of, those, uh, one of the bald eagles and they fly in and all that yeah. stuff, and I... My dream, my I would love to see yep. the bald eagle, the guy standing there with his arm out, and the eagle just looks at him flies and flies away. right past <laughs> and just takes off and leaves. And I, yeah. we've not seen that yet. I no. don't, you know, but he he wouldn't have anywhere to go. He'd have to go through an exit because it's an indoor arena today. And um, but well, I'd love oh to no, see that. Fred, oh no, you know you know the deal with this stadium, right? What? 
like half the stadium is glass. Oh, that's right. That eagle's going to fly right into the. Well, I, I don't even think they can play if that happens. You know that that there's only one of those eagles in the entire country. There's one eagle that does all of that. Oh, that does all the flying at the anthems. It's I didn't one, know that. It's one eagle. I, so has he named, been to more Super Bowls than Tom Brady? Yeah, probably. Okay, but. It's one eagle. It was um, the only reason I know this is I was watching NFL Network and they were interviewing the eagle. Well, the eagle is there squawking, but their handler was doing the talking. Obviously. Okay. And uh, what they were saying is the eagle was found uh, as an infant and was left. So it was raised in captivity. So it can't be an eagle out in the wild. Oh, okay. it, does, it doesn't know how to hunt. Doesn't know how to hunt. It's. Okay. it's um, what is it called when it's been about around humans? So it, it doesn't it can't fend for itself. I got basically. You. Right. So they started training it to do this, and that's why it's it's the only eagle that flies first class. Uh, and there's only one of these eagles that exists. So it better not fly into the side of the stadium because it's glass, and the bird can't see the glass. I can pretty much assure you that there will not be an eagle at Tom Waddle's house. Today. You never know. Well, Cap's there could gonna be. wear the mask. He might have an eagle mask. He, he could. Eagle woman might show up. Who knows? Maybe. From back in the day. Tom Waddle joins us. We've had picks from all the other hosts. And uh, now we get the guy, along with Yurko, who's actually played the game. Not not the... Well, actually, he did play in the one Super Bowl, but... You know, we forget about that. The memories one from '85 are fantastic. <laughs> Tommy over the middle, what a catch! Tom Waddle joining us. Hey, Tommy, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? I am an eagle. I'm a Boston College. That's right. There you all go. Right. So the Eagles there. So yeah. You're all set. So, so I'll be. Yeah, my wife's a Boston College grad as well, so she's an eagle. Yeah, I know. Last so. year, she wore her father's um, Patriots jersey. Is that the attire for today? I, I believe so. I've not uh, I've not connected with her on what her attire will be. Come on! But uh, the hell did we call she, you she for? Does, you know, it's so funny. You know, I'm outside shoveling the snow, <laughs> picking up ice, and doing all kinds of things for today's gala. And she's with my sister in law, and gets in the car and backs out of the driveway. And I said, "Well, what are you doing?" She goes, "Well, I got a whole list of things to do." I said, "Okay, well, what do you?" I said, "So where are you going now?" She goes, "Going to get my nails done." I was like, how can that be on the long list of things to do to get ready for a party? I mean, it's just my life is just one big, insane experience. It's crazy. You, you, come on. You've been married long enough. You know that the proper nail, you know, the yeah, nails right, have to look yeah. nice when, when welcoming people in. Sure. Whatever. But, yeah, uh, Freddie, I do believe she will be wearing a uh, Capilati 20 jersey yep. uh, rep in the, pay, uh, the Patriots. She may, you know what, who knows? She may end up getting in a fist fight with Cap. Don't well, know. Uh, you know what? That would be the highlight of the of the day. That well, would, would be, be a, 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 a can kicking for Cap. <laughs> he doesn't want to mess with my wife. I'm telling that. I can see her just see her ripping the mask off. But that, that, that you know, we'll, we'll wait till tomorrow to hear that story. So you look before we before we talk about your pick for the game, uh, and we talked with Sylvie. We've talked with everybody so far today about uh, Brian Erlacher getting in, and you and Sylvie had the opportunity to work quite a bit with Brian Erlacher over the last year or two, last couple of years. Talk about your thoughts about him getting in, and what you remember the most about him as as uh, the middle linebacker for you, the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I, I would. What I remember most is, is just that he. Well, first of all, I mean, we all believed. I mean, most of the people I talked to, I, I won't speak for everyone, but I know Sylvie and I both believe he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
Neither one of us thought, though, that the politics of the voting procedure and the fact that Ray Lewis was also on the ballot, we neither one of us thought he would actually get voted in. So both of us very pleasantly surprised and very happy for Brian. I, I thought he was the first ballot Hall of Famer for a number of reasons. Most importantly, you know, he revolutionized the, the, the middle linebacker position, and he played it in a manner that really no one had played it like that before. There have been others that have been very athletic at the position, but... I don't think I ever saw anybody at six foot four and 255, 260 pounds running a sub four five forty who could and, and, and go sideline to sideline. He had sacks, he had interceptions, and he's a big reason why that cover two of Lovey Smith's works because in that cover two, the middle of the field is wide open. Yeah, not when Brian's out there because Brian, it, you, it takes having a middle linebacker that can cover, you know, an enormous amount of ground and. And Brian was not only the leader of that defense and the best player on that defense, he was perfectly suited for for what they were asking him to do. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I think it's well-deserved, and I think it's the right move for them to vote him in on, on first ballot, for sure. Tom, as we celebrate uh, Brian's career, looking back over it, I've asked everyone this morning to give me one of your few moments that you look back and say, man, if I'm going to encapsulate Brian Urlacher as a player, this moment really sticks out for me. Wow. Uh, there's so many, Chris. Uh, I just saw a video of him laying out on a sideline route against the, I want to say it was the Falcons. And he dove in the pass. So this was just, a, I saw this yesterday when they were playing his highlights. And, and it just it reminded me how athletic he was uh, to be out in coverage 15 yards down the field, have the ball thrown, and then go horizontal, lay out, catch the ball in his hands. And you know, create the takeaway, which was you know the the was such a key ingredient to what Lovey Smith and that defense was all about. So, I mean, I think there's any number of really athletic moves you could see. Now, one that we bust his chops about all the time was the the interception, I believe, in the NFC title game. I think it was where Aaron Rodgers ran him down. Do I have that correct? Yeah, right. We bust bust his uh, his backside about that, but um, there's just too many to. Too many to really cite the the athletic moments or, or looking at a middle middle linebacker and saying to yourself, "Oh my God, did a guy that big just make a play that was that athletic?" It was it was just it was great fun to watch him play for what was it thirteen years. So very happy. He's a friend of the show and couldn't be happier. And Sylvie, I believe I don't know if he committed to you guys or not, but he's going shirtless in Canton, and I, he's oh. thinking I'm the four to his five. That will not happen. <laughs> I will not go shirtless to Canton, but no. I will be there hopefully to help celebrate his induction. Are you going to go visit your bus when you guys get there? My bus? <laughs> yeah. You know what, Freddie, at the age of 51, I can see my bus as soon as I look down these days. Yeah, you know I what know. Brother? I know the feeling. Uh, let's get to yeah. today's game. Let's get to today's game real quickly. As uh, the Patriots the Eagles with spreads uh, four and a half, the over-under 49. What are your thoughts of this one going in? I, I picked the, the Patriots to win this game 24-20. So I took the Eagles in the point. Would I be shocked? Points. Would I be shocked if the Eagles won? No, because, um, you know, that's a really good football team. Take away what Nick Fultz did in the NFC title game, throwing for 350 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. You know, they're an excellent team at the line of scrimmage. They run it. They're top five rushing attack defensively. The front seven gets after you. For the Eagles, that's the key. You, you've got to pound Tom Brady consistently. You've got to get him up the middle. Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, uh, those guys have got to be able to pressure him and get into his sight line. 
follow the same game plan defensively that the Falcons used last year, but you know, shuffle some other guys in and don't get exhausted. That's what happened to the Falcons in the second half of last year's Super Bowl. They ran out of gas. So, um, you know, I think that the, the keys are, are certainly going to be uh, taking care of the football. You cannot beat yourself against this Patriots team and find a way to really disturb Tom Brady and get him off his spot. Uh, with that said, I think the Patriots will, as they always do, make adjustments to what the Eagles are doing in the first half. Nobody's better at that making those adjustments than Bill Bill Belichick put the ball in Tom Brady's hands in the final five minutes of the game and, and let the best who's ever done it take care of, uh, of, of business. And I think that's what will happen. I, I would predict that the Patriots win in a pretty uh, exciting game and a very close game. Um, but I think it'll be a good one. Tom, you're an expert when it comes to breaking down wide receiver play. Who do you think has the advantage in the slot? Is it Amendola? Is it Nelson Aguilar? Who do you see, the Eagles or the Patriots? Who has the advantage in the slot? Wow, that's that's a good uh, – Aguilar, from what I understand, has the flu so uh, or has been sick. Um, I, I would take Danny Amendola probably. I, I mean, I think Aguilar on the edge, he'll play in the slot, but he can also play on the outside. If Aguilar was on the outside, I, I'd say Aguilar over Amendola, but Purely in the middle of the field, I would probably give the edge to Amendola. And, you know, some of that is, is also the quarterback. Uh, some of that's the schemes that, that McDaniels will run. McDaniels does a great job getting guys open with, with formation and with routes and, and route combinations. So I would give Amendola the edge purely because, I mean, if you put, I'll put it this way to you, Chris. Yeah. If Aguilar was, was wearing a Patriot uniform, I'd say Aguilar. <laughs> right. But if not, I'll take the guy who's done it very well, especially late in the season, who's in that system. And look, Julian Edelman is, is a fantastic player, and they definitely would have benefited from having him in the healthy and ready to play this year. But I think Danny Amendola, especially in big moments, has picked up and, and, and performed every bit as good as as Julian Edelman, and I think a lot of that goes to not just the player, but to the scheme and the coach and the quarterback. Tommy, get back. I don't know if that made any sense. No, I don't no, know it, ma- it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because yeah. you look at it and you say that the coaching staff for the Patriots are going to be so well prepared that even if yeah. the better players on the other side of the field, you know the Patriots will figure it out. Well, and I'll give you, uh, I think something to look at today, too, is, I mean, obviously Gronk's the most difficult matchup, in my opinion, in all sports. I'll take him in terms of trying to find a way to slow him down. For me, if I was a defensive coordinator, that would be my the most difficult assignment in the NFL. The Eagles, if they do have a flaw in defenses, is they not they have not covered tight ends of the middle of the field great this year. So that would bode well for Gronk having a big day or Amendola having a big day. The Patriots are able to move the ball successfully. As usual, expect them to, to, to try and focus on the middle of the field and highlight Gronk in some single coverages over the middle. Tommy, uh, you get get the driveway salted. Uh, it's going to be loaded pretty soon. Uh, guys will all enjoy themselves. We're looking Everyone's forward to it. Everyone's going to be loaded pretty soon, <laughs> yes. So it works, right? And and, and right. Uber and Lyft pulling into your driveway throughout the evening. Absolutely, that's Everybody, right. You know, that's the great thing about our crew. Everyone's pretty smart about all that stuff. So. Yeah, which is a good thing. Tommy, appreciate it as always. We'll listen to you and Sylvie break it down tomorrow. You got it. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you, Chris. See you, Tom. We'll talk to you later. That's Tom Waddle getting ready for the big bash up at the Waddle Complex. It's not. It's not a house. It's a complex, right? <laughs>
it's a house. It's a nice a compound. House. Yeah, the compound, compound okay. complex, yeah. whatever. Yeah, it is. It, it is very, very nice. It's nice that he opens the door. He has us all come over, and all we do is just make fun of him for the entire week before we we go. It, it, it's it's so nice that he opens the uh, the house to, uh, to to this many crazy people. Yeah, nobody's nicer. Yeah, so. and, I, and then I heard the other day that Meller suggested if asked if he could bring his dog. I was listening to you and Jeff talk about that the other night. Uh, what was that Wednesday night? Yeah, and uh, you know Thursday. I. I actually Tuesday. had the thought yeah. in my head that when I heard Meller suggest that, I was like, wow, I wonder if I can bring little Gus with me. Because I have a puppy, Gus, and he there would love to be around everyone all day because that's all he wants to do is hang out with people. So Let me quickly give you what uh, my prediction for the game because yeah, I, I haven't put a lot of thought into it. Okay. I want I, I think Philadelphia is going to win 27-24 only because I'm pulling for Jake Elliott, the kid uh, from Lions Township and, okay. and Western Springs. Uh, if you did not read uh, David Hawes' article, about this kid the other day. He played was playing at LT when 14-year-old Kelly O'Laughlin was killed uh, at her family's Indian Park Head, uh, Indian Head Park is, is written wrong here, uh, home during a burglary. And after the Eagles beat the Vikings, Elliot said he announced on Twitter the proceeds from sales of his T-shirts for his pe- personal website, Jake Elliott. Four.com would all go to the Kelly Joy Foundation for the O'Laughlin uh, name. I had nobody to pull for until I saw that. Now I'm pulling for the Eagles 27-24. Elliott booting a field goal to win it as time expires. Well, now I'm a bad guy if I go the other way. <laughs> no, you're not. So, no, you're not. Okay. All right. That's a great way to end the show. But, uh, I, you know, we, we've gotten Caps pick. Caps going Eagles 31-24. Carmen's going Eagles 24-21. Jonathan Hood's going Patriots 31-13. Yurko going Eagles 27-21. to Sylvie going Patriots 23-20. to And Waddle said Patriots. Did he give a score? 24-20. 20, 24-20. Yeah. Okay. So he's so, one, one off of uh, Sylvie. I think the Eagles are the better team, but I can't get past that the better player and the better coach are on the other side in the Patriots and the experience is there. I think it's going to be where we look at Nick Foles and the offense is going to fail the Eagles at some point. I see Patriots 27-13. 27-13. Okay. Not so close at the end of the game. No, I mean, you know, it's just if you have a quarterback that can't throw down the field, I think that's something that Belichick says. All right, guys, let's go and let's just make him beat us and he won't be able to do it. Thanks to uh, Dan Zimborski from ESPN who joined us. Also, Patrick Finley, along with Cap, Carmen, Jonathan, Yurko, Sylvie, Waddle. Don't forget, the guys will be breaking it all down for you tomorrow morning, starting with Golik and Wingo at 5 o'clock. Chris, enjoy the day. You too, Fred. Enjoy the game. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. Thanks for listening here on ESPN 1000.